Welcome back to a fantastic episode we have planned for you. Lights Out Podcast. As usual, you can see Mike Miguel. We got a, a different person here before today. So, you know, we like to do these deep dives, these these uh, interviews with some legends of the sport. This is a, a particularly good one. You know, we have the 50 Fight Club. Now we need to start like the 150 Fight Club with Jim Hart. Maybe two or hell, I don't know. We'll, we'll talk to him about that. But, uh, this guy's kind of amazing because this is somebody who, you know, when I first started uh, fighting, he was already in the game for a long time. You know, a guy to look up to. But, uh, hell, he's probably there when I quit. This guy fought forever and fought everybody you ever wanted to know. So, uh, without any introduction needed, I'm sure people could recognize the, the one and only Jeremy Hort. Jeremy, how you doing, brother? I'm doing well, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming, man. Uh Jeremy, uh, you know, definitely, uh, we haven't talked maybe 20 years, but... I was just thinking uh, that, it's about 20. <laughs> so it, it, it's been a long time, but we definitely used to uh, see each other in a lot of places, a lot of weird places yeah. and stuff, you yeah. know? Pretty um, regularly. Uh, you know, so I'm a, you started out, basically, you were one of the first guys I remember that when you did this sport, this was your sport. Like you weren't like a guy that was from the jujitsu world or like a wrestler um, right. and that sort of stuff. So talk about, you know, growing up, your brother did one of the early UFCs. I think it's your half brother and stuff. So talk about yep. how you found the sport in Oklahoma or Nebraska, uh, where, where I think you're from. Yeah, in Nebraska. Yeah. So uh, my old brother, Matt Anderson, uh, actually saw a demo for a local martial arts club in Omaha, Nebraska. That's where I was born and raised. And uh, so he joined with them. And of course, you know, I was just tagging along with my older brother. So I joined, I don't know, a year or so after that, maybe a little less, I don't remember. Um, and I just fell in love with martial arts. So I, you know, I was training every day, constantly, just your typical run-of-the-mill martial arts, you know, nothing, it wasn't MMA uh, as we know it today or NHB as it was called back then, uh, but, it, but it was fairly, it was fairly eclectic and, and, and open-minded. You know, we did a lot of grappling. We did, we did some striking, you know, not, not quite as good as boxing or kickboxing, but better than what was out there in, in the more traditional styles. Um, you know, and the, the grappling was not as good as, you know, jujitsu today, but it was better than what was going on then. So we had a little bit of a leg up um, just because we had a little bit more realistic mindset. Uh, so then when, uh, when the UFC rolled around or when MMA or NHB back then started getting popular, it just seemed like a natural transition. So a local, a local guy was our, not local, he was in Atlanta, but uh, a guy came and asked us if we were interested in fighting. And so we're like, of course, let's, let's give this a try. And it turned out I was kind of good at it. So I just ran with it. <laughs> yeah. And at some point you, you made like one of the steps that was big in your early career was you made the move to Iowa. Right. And that's where yes. Monty Pat, and that's where we met <laughs> where, uh, you know, we were in Indiana and, and you guys used to, yes. you know, used to fight like at, uh, Brian Madden's show like Friday night and on our show like Saturday night. Yep. And, and that little tour, talk about that. Cause I, I have a couple of stories uh, about you. I, I want to recall and go down memory lane if, if you don't mind. Yeah. So it's, it's a little interesting. And I, I wish I, I still to this day, don't know where it came from, but the guy's name was Tom Huggins, I believe. Um, he was, I don't know, matchmaker, promoter, you know, connector of some sort. So he's the one that contacted us when I was in Omaha and said, Hey, I've got a contact with these guys down in Atlanta. They're looking to put together a show. They're doing like some tryouts. Uh, if you guys are interested in trying out, we can, we'll fly you down there and you guys can fight. And, uh, and you know, based on the, the fight, the tryout, we'll see where it goes. So they flew us down there. 
we did the fight. Um, all three of us won. Um, it turned out to be, um, God, I can't remember his name. Who was the doctor that originally developed the open finger gloves? You guys oh. remember him? Oh, no, but I know the gloves. I remember what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. What, what, it was what like, was it was like a little red cross plus sign with an R. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So um, it ended up being the, the martial arts reality super fighting. Mars, you remember that show? Yep. Where oh. Marillo fought Tom Erickson? Yep. Yeah. yeah. The guys that did our tryout ended up being the ones that put on that show. So they, they flew us down to Atlanta. Cool. They, you know, we just, we fought, we won. They never called us back. They had a ton of guys that were, they were <laughs> doing tryouts. So, I mean, I'm sure, you know, whatever. Um, and that was kind of my initiation into the sport. Um, and my second fight, I, I don't really remember how we got connected with Monty, but my second fight was a, a tournament that I did for Monty. So that's where I met the whole Iowa crew. Uh, it was about, I don't know, a couple of months after my first fight, I think. What, what year do you think? What year is this around? Uh, this had to be 96, maybe. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That, yeah. that yeah. fight for Monty, I, that's, that's pre-Extreme Challenge. That was the Quad City yeah. Ultimate. Yep, the Quad City Ultimate, too. Oh, my yeah. God. I think the next show he did was the Extreme Challenge 1. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, some 300 shows ago. And it's funny because, like, for the time, like the guys you were fighting, you were already they all you were already kind of in among the wolves. Rick Gravison wasn't a a, a chump. Uh, oh, no. Monty fed you to Mark Hansen, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a funny story, you know. I, I uh, so I so I hook up with Monty, and I'm in the the heavyweight tournament. Back then, I was still really new. Uh, like you said, I mean, MMA or NHB was my first sport. I never wrestled. I never did football. I never did anything else. So the concept of weight cutting to me was, I, I didn't even know what it was. So <laughs> I, I entered this tournament as a heavyweight because the cutoff for light heavyweight or middleweight, I think they called it at the time, was 190. Ooh. And I was, I weighed 195. Ooh. So I thought, okay, I guess I'm a heavyweight. What do I, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know anything about cutting weight. I don't know how this works. So I entered, I entered the heavyweight division at 195, and I win my first match. It was a four-man tournament that night, and my second match was against Mark Hansen, who weighed like 280. So yeah, I'm giving up some 90 pounds to a guy because I don't know how to cut five pounds. I bet the Milton's teams were like, dude, what do you do? I mean, they were all about cutting weight, you know what I mean? They're probably yeah. like, what's wrong with this guy, yeah. man? What are you doing, man? Don't you know what wrestling is? I'm like, yeah. no, I don't no. know. <laughs> I weigh 195. I guess I'm a heavyweight. <laughs> yeah. You can imagine what they were saying behind his back. I mean, yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, so yeah, I, I, I win my first fight in the tournament. I end up facing Mark Hansen in the finals. Obviously, I, I put up a decent fight for giving up 100 pounds, but I ended up losing. Um, but that's, you know, Pat Militich was the main event that night. Monty was the promoter. So I met all of those guys. And then uh, pretty, pretty soon thereafter, I ended up moving to Iowa. It was obvious to me that like they had the game plan for what I wanted to do. Like I wanted to learn how to fight. I wanted to learn how this, this, you know, free rules, free fight NHB thing happened. They were good enough to beat me. So obviously I should go learn from them. Mm. <laughs> oh so yeah. Not That's long cool. after I ended up moving to Iowa and training with Pat and the guys for you for a few years. Now I, I'm looking at it here. And then before you actually competed for our shows in 99 and stuff, you actually got that first shot against Frank in the UFC in 98 Ooh. after you hooked up there. Talk about how that materialized, because I, I remember that fight pretty pretty close. I was there. Me too. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. So I had, I had had a couple of fights, you know, once I met Monty, you know, he was just getting ramped up. So he was doing lots of shows. So I fought for him pretty regularly, his first handful of shows. And uh, one of his fights, uh, I want to say it was extreme challenge. I don't know, five or six or something like that, or maybe even a different name. I don't recall, but uh, I ended up winning uh, the, the four man tournament that he did. And John Peretti, who was the matchmaker for the UFC, uh, he was good friends with Monty and he was in the audience at the time. So I, I won the fight and he was like, Hey, I like you, you know, you're a good fighter. I'm going to put you in as an alternate uh, in the UFC. And I was originally supposed to face Chuck Liddell as an Ooh. alternate in the tournament. When, when Dan Henderson fought, uh, it was uh, Alan, Goez? Alan Goez, uh, Jesus. Dan Henderson and uh, Bob Gilstrap. Those were the four. So I was supposed to be an alternate for that tournament against Chuck Liddell. And then about, uh, I don't know, not long, maybe a month out from the show, John Peretti called me. Apparently the UFC had decided to do some, some pay-per-view reworkings. And he said, okay, now you're, you're fighting. You're no longer the alternate. You're fighting Frank Shamrock for the title. <laughs> yeah. Same well, thing. Same pay. Yeah, same pay. I made $2,500 for that fight. Two extra rounds. Really? See, that was going to be one of my next questions. That's kind of, you know, that's kind of a a learning experience there. Now, now, for people who haven't seen the fight, Jeremy, you had him. (laughs) Talk talk about that experience, man. Talk about Well, so, I mean, honestly, I I, I still don't to this day, uh, and I didn't then, I don't think Frank Shamrock is very good. I know that he's he's looked at as like an icon of the sport. He's a uh, uh, you know a, 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 a record setter, a trend breaker, an entrepreneur. You know, a, you know, tip of the spear kind of guy. But his jujitsu is garbage, and it always and it always has been. So even back then, I was pretty raw. I was nothing compared to the modern day jujitsu we see now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, of course, I didn't know that at the time. I look back and I see now. But so, yeah, I mean, I was able to control him. I was able to to, to dominate him positionally pretty easily because his jiu-jitsu is yeah. not very good. Yeah. Oh, I was able to pass his guard pretty easy. I was able to take him down. I was able to mount him pretty easily. But I was in such utter shock that I was able to do this to, you know, <laughs> the best fighter in the world. <laughs> uh but yeah, I mean, so I would take him down and I would get mounted on him and I would think, oh my God, I'm mounted on Frank Shamrock. What the hell just happened? How did this happen? Yeah. Uh, and so I was just, I was really frozen by, by my success. I, I, I just thought, okay, that was luck. He underestimated me any second now. He's going to turn it on and he's going to smoke me. And then it didn't happen. And then I take him down again. I pass the gun and mount him again. I'm like, okay, something happened. That was an accident. Any second now, he's going to turn it on and he's going to smoke me. And it just kept going like that through the whole fight. I just kept thinking, I just, this is just a series of blind luck and unfortunate happy accident <laughs> in my favor. Sooner or later, he's going to put it in gear and he's going to smoke me. <sighs> and then finally, going into that overtime, Pat Milicic, my, who's McCorner me at the time, is like, look, this guy's no good. You can beat him. <laughs> Go out there and take him apart. And I was like, finally, I get it. Yes, that's all he's got. He's not hiding anything. He's not holding back. I can beat this guy. I go out there. I take him down. I shoot a sloppy takedown. And he capitalized on that leg that I left hanging out there and caught me in a knee bar. Yeah. But it was it was totally my own, certainly not arrogance, but I just got sloppy. And finally, I was like, okay, 
I believe it. I'm better than him. I can beat him. Let's go get it done. And I just got a little sloppy and reckless. And he, and he yeah. caught me. Hey, Chris, I have a feeling we're going to clip that uh, whole little segment out. That, that, that was, uh, I think that's going to be that's, in itself. That's gold, man. That's gold. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. All right, so, that's Jeremy, you fought in, obviously, a ton of organizations. I'm going to throw some names at you. You can just kind of give us a quick rundown of what your thoughts were at the time when you fought sure. there, not of what they are now, but at the time. So, the UFC. Uh, you know, I, I didn't really know a whole lot. You know, obviously, they were the, the premier organization at the time. I, I kind of thought if you were if you were the champion UFC, you had had the right to say you were the best fighter in the world, literally. So I just I was like, hey, this is it. I, I've reached the top of the mountain. If I can hang with these guys, I'm one of the best in the world. WEC. Um, to a lesser degree, the same thing. I felt like they uh, they focus a lot on the smaller fighters, but still, you know, top of the food chain, best in the world. Uh, you know, if you can hang with those guys, then then you're you're as good as anyone in the world. All right. So you also fought in Pride. Yep. Uh, scary circus show. Go in there <laughs> and risk your health for the entertainment of the fans, and they'll pay you a lot of money. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's Bellator. Uh, you know, I I I looked at them. I thought they were. Uh, you know, it's it's since changed, but back then I thought that. Here's an organization that is that is trying to build a league the right way. They have tournaments to determine a, a, a you know a number one contender, and then that guy fights the champ, and so it's a logical progression into it. So I always felt like Bellator had the right formula, and they were trying to build like I, I don't want to say honorable because that's not exactly the right word, but like they were trying to build a league that followed the rules, so to speak. So you can follow the storyline. Okay. Right, whereas the UFC just kind of took whoever was popular and gave him a title shot. Whereas Bellator was like, look, you have to earn a title shot. Even if you have a couple of losses, if you win the tournament for the title, you get the title shot. Whereas That's the fair. UFC was like, I don't care if you're 10-0. and 0, If you lose a fight, you suck. You go back to the bottom of the rung, the bottom yeah. of the lap. You know? Even title well, fights. Yeah. Depends it's on who time. you are. If you're an exciting guy, they like, then they leave you up Exactly, there. exactly. Pancras. Um. You know, I, I've always loved fighting in Japan. I, I've always felt that uh, Japan was kind of, kind of the, uh, I don't know, the 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 heart of the sport. You know, they 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 treat the fighters like real athletes. They, yep. Win or lose, they love you. Um, they 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 love the sport. The fans love the athletes. You know, you won't go anywhere else where you'll watch a fight and the guy that got he got his head caved in. He got his ass kicked for fifteen minutes will have a line to sign autographs just as long as the winner. Yeah. Because they don't care if you win or lose as much as the fact that you are willing to go in there and entertain the fans and fight to entertain them. And they love you for it. Yeah, You're I, an athlete and they love you for it. And that's, that's amazing. Yeah. I got a question for you. If you lose a fight, you suck in Japan. Yeah. You're there to entertain them and they love you because you're willing to put it on the line. Now you fought in Korea too. Was it was like, Obviously, they're different cultures, but was the experience similar there? Because yes. MMA wasn't far along in, in Korea at the time. Talk a little yeah. bit about that. Who yeah, did it was, who, it was very, it You was fought very someone strange. tough there. Who was it? Yeah, some, some has been, some little long guy named Anderson Silva. Oh, yeah. so I've heard of him. I've heard of him. <laughs> you uh, went three rounds with him. Quite a few times. <laughs> I couldn't believe uh, but yeah, it. I, I think, you know, maybe just because of the, the martial arts heritage, the general Asian culture, it's, it's the same kind of thing. They, they love the sport, they love the fighters. Um, 
you know, you could go in there and get knocked out in 10 seconds and they love you because you're willing to <laughs> risk it and get knocked out. And they love you. It's true. So what about, it, it, it is what about, amazing to have that kind of appreciation. King of the cage. Uh, kind of a grassroots organization that is trying to build something. I feel like they kind of, they kind of, um, they pushed a little bit of the theatrics maybe more than they should have uh, because they, they kind of tried to straddle that line between, you know, we're going to be a reputable organization that builds, you know, a roster and champions. And we're also going to kind of have a little WWF flair and have some kind of <laughs> going on. So they kind of went back and forth a little bit. Uh, the submission fighting championship. You fought uh, Steve Berger, Randy Greenman, former promoter, man. That was my buddy. Yeah, oh, I'm yeah, that was a, that was a great fight, man. Steve Berger and I had a, had a really good fight. It was kind of a last minute thing that they decided it was. It, it ended up being kind of uh, uh, rings or maybe Pancrase style rules where you couldn't punch to the face on the ground. So it was kind of it standing, was, punching, and kicking, and then grappling only on the ground with like some body shots. So, yeah, that was Illinois at the time. Yeah, that was yeah. Uh, the rules. Yeah, Randy. Uh, yeah, R.I.P. Man, that that was my guy. Yeah, the bikers got Ooh. him. Yeah, um, allegedly. <laughs> no, no, they went to jail a couple years ago, about seven years after. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, and then, you know, you mentioned rings earlier. What was your experience with rings? Uh, you know, I really loved rings. Um, it's unfortunate that when they switched over to more MMA-style uh, rules um, and kind of encouraged more of the MMA fighters to come in, it didn't really hold up because they had a, they had a great model, I think, where standing, it was kickboxing, and grappling, it was a submission match. And they encouraged guys to, to not punch and kick on the ground. They wanted to see a fluid, active, aggressive grappling match. Uh, and I love that idea because on the ground or, you know, standing, everybody loves seeing a good, wild, knockdown, drag out kickboxing match. And then on the ground, everybody wants to see a smooth, fluid grappling match. And to combine those two is an amazing idea. Uh, and that's kind of what they did when they were doing some of their work fights. <laughs> but then when you introduce uh, real MMA fighters where, look, I want to win this fight. I don't care if it's boring. I'm going to take you down and sit in your garden. I'm going to punch you in the ribs for 30 minutes if that's what it takes to win the fight. Um, you know, it, 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 it took away from the entertainment value of rings. Um, if they had continued to have, uh, you know, more active, aggressive, fluid grappling matches, I, I would have loved to see it go on. And, you know, I, I have to take the blame for that as well because I'm the same way. Like, I, I want to win a fight. I mean – that Chris and I are probably the exact opposites in that regard. He's going to go out there and he's going to go crazy to try to kill you to win that fight. Whereas I'm going to like, I'm going to be conservative. I'm going to hold you down. I'm going to, I'm going to take minimal risks to try to finish you. And you know, my style just didn't play out very well because it didn't make for a very entertaining grappling match sometimes. Hey, but that's probably why you got a lot more wins than I do. <laughs> <laughs> How was your luckily, experience? Luckily, ring, luckily, rings didn't slip you any Hall of Famers or anything, did they? Right. No, no. <laughs> did, yeah, right? did, did you fight Couture there? You fought Couture there, yeah. Oh, that's right, I did, yes. I also fought Arona twice, yes. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you fought some absolute murderers. Uh, what about TKO in, in, uh, with Stefan Patry in Canada? Um, another, another great organization, a, a local organization trying to build things up right. He had, a, he had a good roster of fighters that fought for him. He put together good matchups. Obviously, that's where St. Pierre came from. And had David Loazzo, um, a lot of good fighters came out of there. You know, they had a, a great group. Um, I think he just fell victim to what a lot of MMA organizations did is just maybe – trying to grow a little too fast before the, 
the audience was ready to support it. You know, yeah, great, curve great, it. great, you know, just putting too big of a product that he couldn't afford to keep running until the fans caught up. Hey, you know what? You're right. I agree with that. Um, all right. So with over a hundred fights, have you, have you ever been ripped off by a promoter? <laughs> um, let's see. I got, I got about 170 fights and I've been ripped off by promoters in maybe 150 of them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, well, honestly, Jeff I, Osborne I, a part of that. <laughs> hooked no, me no, Jeff always treated me really, really well. Yeah, uh, I his, love his that. Choice of hotels wasn't always the greatest. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, Jeff, Jeff was a, a pioneer in the early days, trying to make it work. Uh, and he always, as far as I'm concerned, he always treated all the fighters really well. Uh, you know, he he was one of the good guys. Tried to do things the right way. Treated people fairly. Treated people honestly. Um, yeah, so I mean, I got nothing to complain about, but no, I agree. 100%. Overall, I, I really had a good, good relationship with most of the promoters I fought for. Um, I mean, I, at the end of the day, honestly, if you do your homework, which really wasn't too, it wasn't very possible back then, but if you know who you're fighting and you know what he's all about and you accept the money that they offer for that fight, you can't claim you got ripped off. You know, so twenty five hundred for shit. Frank was right on. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's it's what it I accepted. I was happy. Uh, obviously, looking back, I realized I should have gotten a lot more, but I can't complain. I accepted it. I, you know, reading yeah. reading like Randy Couture's book and knowing that you know he fought in the UFC. I don't know a year later and got like fifty grand or something like that. So yeah, yeah I mean, I should have got more, but you know, I'm 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 not one to cry sour grapes, man. I I agreed to it. Uh, I, I you you got to have some story where somebody didn't pay you. Come on, you fuck. Were, were, were you on that fight with uh, Ed Kim? Or were you there? I know a lot of the guys from Monty's. You weren't on that card, were you? Well, with, with which fight? Ed Kim, the guy in Chicago. He put on a big fight and ripped Ed everybody off. But a lot of Monty's guys. I don't think you were no, I, that doesn't sound familiar. I don't think I was. I, yeah. You know, I did, I did sort of – I didn't get ripped off. Well, no, I take that back. I do have one story about getting ripped off. But uh, – the uh, the IFC guys, Howard Petchler, he, he he and that crowd jerked me around a little bit. I ended up getting my money, but uh, so I got paid. They wrote me a check after the fight, and they wrote it for the wrong amount. So <laughs> rather than rather than just tearing it up and writing a new check, he kind of scribbled over the amount and tried to rewrite it. And so then I come back to the U.S. and I've got a Canadian check that's scribbled out and written uh, over. It. Yeah. Took me forever to get paid. They they eventually did pay me. Uh, but it took a while to get it done. So, um, but no, there That's was a good one move. guy that, that I did get screwed over for. I fought for an organization called uh, 5150 Combat. I want to say it was in Illinois, somewhere east, Midwest, something like that. Uh, and I ended up fighting, I, I think I was the main event. And I was supposed to get like, I don't know, nothing spectacular. It was like 10 grand or something like that. That's pretty and, good. Uh, yeah, it's decent, decent pay for the time. And uh, they ended up obviously not selling any tickets. The, the show was a flop. So they they uh, they had no money to pay anybody. And so they ended up uh, calling in their bond to get it. But the bond was only for like 10 grand. And they had to spread, they had to spread that out among all the fighters on the fight card. So they owed me like 10 grand. And I think I ended up getting like 1,500 bucks out of it. Ooh. So, yeah. Ooh, wow. Well, wow. luckily I got a win out of it. So, I mean, it's not, you know, at least I got a win. I didn't get, didn't get beat and got screwed, but yeah. Yeah, yeah it's true. So what was your, you know, you mentioned Monty Cox a couple times already. 
What was your experience like with him? How did your relationship grow? Uh, well, so I, you know, the second, my second fight, second and third, it was a tournament, uh, was the extreme challenge, uh, the ultimate combat rather. He was put on by Monty and Pat was the main event. So I met all the guys there and obviously Monty was getting ramped up doing shows. So I just stayed in touch with him and I fought for him a bunch <laughs> over the next, I don't know, half a dozen shows or so, year or so. And uh, he just, again, I, I just, I feel like, I don't know, I'm not one to blame other people for anybody's fault. So like, if you say, hey, here's the opponent, this is what I'm going to pay you. If I accept it, it's fair. Yeah. I don't like it, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't care if you had more money to pay other people or not. No. If I accept what you offer me, then it is what it is. So not that money ever underpaid me, but he was always, has always been. I mean, he's still a good friend of mine. We do our podcast together and he's still my manager. So great friend of mine. But uh, I think that's what, uh, what has kept him in the, in the business so long. You know, he's not the kind of guy that's like, hey, you know, I got this guy. He's kind of new. Do you want to fight him? I'll pay you 500 bucks. Turns out you're fighting Matt Hughes. You know, that's not the case. He What he would say is he'd be like, look, this is Matt Hughes. He's incredibly good. The likelihood that you're going to win is not very high. But <laughs> if you go in there and you can put on a good show against him, it will still up your stock. So it's worth it for you to come in here and give it a go and see what you can do. But I'm not going to lie to you. This guy is really, really good. He's probably going to beat you, you know. And that's how he would always present fights to people. And so people are like, look, I know what I'm up against. If I decide to take that chance, it's on me. And that's always how Monty's treated people. Um, and I think that's why he's been around the sport for so long, because he's never screwed anybody over. He's always been straightforward with people. Um, but, you know, that's that's just the way it yeah, goes. You know, he's also a boxing historian. I've read a couple of his articles from years ago. Um, man, I, I'd really like to pick his brain about, like, the 1920s and 30s boxing. Like, that's, that's my era. So, no, I, I respect Monty a lot as well. Um, all right, you fought Chael Sonnen three times. The first time, it's Dr. Stoppage by a cut. Second time, guillotine. Third time, armbar. Yeah. How did you guys continue to cross paths? Did you feel it was just... <laughs> how, how does so, that happen? So that is a really interesting uh, trilogy. So the first time that we fought, I was scheduled to fight um, Cedric Marks on, on one of Monty's shows. And about two weeks out, or maybe even less... Cedric got hurt. And so Monty called Chael and Chael fills in at the last minute. That was the, the, the TKO. So I shoot in, I pick him up, I take him down. I, I'm in his hat part. I sit up and I hit him with a fucking hellacious elbow. I don't know if I've ever hit anybody that hard before. It was like, <laughs> knock, it was like knocking one out of the park. It was terrible. It was so bad. Like you guys see that big Harry Potter scar on his forehead. Uh -huh. that, that's me. <laughs> Woo. I did that. Like I said, yeah. And so, but it was weird because I hit him so hard. I'm Chris, I'm sure you've done this before. You hit somebody with a fucking sledgehammer and for whatever reason, it just doesn't affect them. <laughs> I can't believe that didn't break my hand. I can't believe it didn't cave your skull. And how are you still conscious? Yeah. You know, so I, I crack him and it's loud and blood is spurting out of his head. And I look up at him and I go, are you okay? And he goes, yeah, I'm good. But blood was squirting like a fountain out of his head. So the referee stops it and it's over. It was so bad that the doctor is going around after the fight, pulling his skin open, showing people his skull. Like you can <laughs> see Kale's skull. <laughs> you know, well, usually when a trilogy happens, 
usually like fights are kind of split one to one. So so here's the thing. But so, the guy struck out all three times. <laughs> so that was our first fight. He takes a fight on short notice. Granted, I don't know if he's training or not, but he takes a fight on short notice and I beat him. The second time was on sport fight on his home show. He was scheduled to fight and his opponent fell through. So they called me on two weeks notice. And at first I was like, nah, I'm busy. I don't want to do it. But it was kind of funny. My, uh, my, uh, my girlfriend at the time, Jennifer Howe, she's like, Hey, no, I want to buy a new car. You need to take that fight. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I, I call him, so I call him back and I'm like, all right, I'll take the fight. <laughs> so I go out there and I end up choking him again. I take it on two weeks notice and I, I catch the guillotine and choke him again. So then our third fight in the UFC was actually the only time that we were actually scheduled to fight each other. Both of Did you think he requested to fight you? Say again? Do you think he requested to fight you the third time? I mean, how, how does, how do they make that matchup? I, yeah, I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me. And Chael's a really confident guy. So I'm sure he was thinking, Hey, the first two times I didn't know anything about him. They were, they were last minute replacements. One him, one me. Now I know what I'm in for. Now I know I can train for him. Uh, but I don't know. I just have his number, man. Chael's a good fighter. Uh, you yeah. know, it's kind of funny. Uh, he fought uh, Nate Marquardt and beat the crap out of him. That's crazy. But Nate beat me. <laughs> Nate, <laughs> Nate mounted Anderson Silva in his yeah. match against him before yeah. he gets out. So, yeah, it's weird, man. It's weird the way, the way fighters match up, man. I just, I just, I got Chael. <laughs> yeah, he's, know, he's, he'll, he'll beat some people that can beat me, but he can't beat me. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no. He's got a phenomenal podcast, too. He, no, I really enjoy his show. We talked, okay, so you made your UFC debut, and then actually I think you it was still Peretti. They got you on the very next UFC, which was the fight Braga, and yes. that one didn't go your way either. And I, I want you to talk a little bit about it because somewhere along the line here, you go from kind of questioning yourself a little bit to like really like strong of mind, like to the point where you, you become like a coach too for some of the other guys and younger guys. How, yeah, how, so talk about that, that. That's where I've always... I, I really think that that kind of a trial by fire thing is is very beneficial for a lot of people. So, uh, you know, I fought Shamrock in like my seventh fight. I fought Brog in like my eighth or ninth fight. That's um, nuts. Yeah, and so I fought Brog, and you know, he he fighting down in Brazil, man, it's a different world. Chris, you've been down there, right? <laughs> oh yeah, it's a different world fighting down there, man. Like the fights up in the U.S. at that time, you know, they were raw and underground and blah blah blah, but not really. Yeah. It, was, it was some guys that are play fighting MMA down in Brazil. Those guys were fucking killing each other. Yeah. It's a different world down there. So I go down there and I fight Braga and I'm like, okay, this is what a fighter really is. This is, you know, he hit me, you know, I mean, it was a good fighter and he hit me with some good shots, but like his mentality and his strength and his drive and his confidence that it, it, it was a noticeable difference from the other people I had fought. So obviously he beat me, uh, and I was like, you know what? I need to fight as much as I can. I want to fight in every single fight I can. Uh, I, I need more experience. And so that was right around the time that I moved to Iowa. And uh, at the time, Travis Fulton was fighting everywhere. And so I said, look, man, you know all these promoters. Everywhere you find a fight, find me a fight. And so Jeez. It's, it's, every, it's like it's a drinking game gone bad. Yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you kicked that habit at some point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would still do it if I could. But uh, yeah, so I moved to Iowa in like 1998. I think it was a little bit after my fight with Braga, or maybe right around that same time. And so in 1999, 
I had like 35 fights. I was like, fuck it. I'm going in. I'm going both feet. I want every single fight. And so Travis and I fought in a different show almost every single weekend in 99. Yep. <laughs> I, I mean, it, one of, one of yeah. them, at least a couple of them were for us in Indiana. But I want to talk about one experience we had with Travis. If you remember, Do you remember draining his ear? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. After he fought, uh, I forget Ma- his name. The Mario Brazilian, the Roberto. Brazilian. Mario Roberto. Yep, that's it. So, so he fights uh, a black belt from Brazil that, that had come up. Um, I think they went 30 minutes and, and Mario got the decision. I think, yeah. you know, Travis disagreed with it, but Travis came out of there with cauliflower ear. Dude, and Roberto it, kicked him in the head so hard, swelled his ear up instantly. And, yeah, so anyway, J- Jeremy and I are driving around after, after the fights, and this is where – you know, you could tell Jeremy was going to become confident at some point because I'm the I'm the matchmaker, right? I'm the I'm the I'm the talking guy, right? But it's Jeremy that talks the uh, CVS people at midnight into giving us needles <laughs> so we could train his ear, <laughs> and uh, they gave us a syringe of needles and stuff. We went back to the hotel. You know, we're, Jeremy's pretty clean cut at the time. You know, we didn't look like heroin addicts, I guess. So we, we got hand. Yeah, I mean, I've got all my teeth. I'm fairly chubby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we got. So we take Travis back, and and Jeremy proceeds to, you know, the 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 ear cracks in its pockets of blood, and you proceed to drain like six or eight uh, syringefuls of blood. Oh, talk talk oh, about your dang. memory of that, because. Well, so, so like you said, I mean, we were searching for a needle. A lot of places don't like to give you needles, although they're usually a little, they're a little more leery about the, uh, the, the tiny insulin needles with like the orange caps, the bigger needles, they're a little easier about because those are not quite as common, but, uh, yeah, yeah, Travis's ear was, God, it had to be, it was bigger than a golf ball. It was, it was big. Um, yeah. So like when you, when you get cauliflower ear, it kind of, it swells up kind of like Swiss cheese where there's like little pockets of blood all over. It's not just one big pocket, at least not always. Um, so you got to kind of stick it in a few different angles and get it in there. But his was so big. I would, I would stick it in there and I would fill a full three CC needle. And then I would take the needle, the, the, the plastic tube off and leave the needle in his ear and squirt the blood out of it and reattach it and draw more out, man. Yeah. I want to say I got, God, I want to say I got like three or four syringes, so like nine or more cc's of blood out of his ear. Yeah, it was it was so small. It was the kind of thing that, and Fulton's a tough guy, you know. Fulton's not a, a you know, but it's the kind of thing you graze his ear at that point, and he'd be like, ah, you know, it was a bad. I always had to drain my own ears. I couldn't let anybody else do it. I wanted to be in charge of that to know, you know, I had to do it myself, man. Yeah, I was always paranoid trying to do it myself. I'd ice it up and then do it after a while. I was like, whatever, just jam it. Yeah, I know. I've drained myself so many times. My kids like, ah, you know. Yeah. In that that 35-fight run, then, there was another time where you came in. I think you were refing for us. Do you remember the Dan Connor incident? Dan Connor. No, you'd have to refresh my memory on okay, that. Okay, we had a four-man tournament, and Jeremy comes up to me with the gloves that should have been on Dan Connor, and Dan Connor had made his way out the back door. And, uh, you know, Horn didn't jump in and fight. I think you fought Jeremy uh, Jerome Smith that day. You remember, I, I remember fight that fight, yeah. And then, that's another funny story. Golly, tell that one. Well, so I fight Jerome Smith, a real big muscular guy, real strong. 
And uh, but he was, but he wasn't super, super skilled. I mean, it was back in the day. Nobody really knew much. So, uh, <laughs> but I, but I clinch with him and he grabs me in kind of like an old school bully schoolyard style headlock. Right. And he cracks me in the face one, you know, I've got a body lock on kind of the old school Gracie takedown. And he just swats me in the eye just once. And instantly my eye goes and swells shut. Like from just a little, a little nothing punch and my eye instantly swells shut. And so I end up taking him down. And the whole time, I think I have something in my eye. I didn't realize that my eye was just swollen shut. So I'm like grabbing at my eye, trying to pull at my eye, trying to figure out what it is in my eye. <laughs> I didn't realize that it was my freaking eyelid swelled shut. <laughs> because the punch didn't hurt. It wasn't anything. It was just a little swat. But he caught me with just his knuckle right in my eyeball and instantly swelled my eye shut. And uh, Horn eventually got, got him out of there, and then he spent the rest of the day like with a holding a spoon to his eye, and uh, and we're giving me Dan Connor's gloves as as Connor didn't show for the man. And Jerome Smith also went on to be Frank Mir's debut, so he was a confident really? guy. Yeah. Um, so so somewhere along there though, you're becoming confident because now you're refing at these shows, you're coming up, you're taking fights. The Jerome Smith fight, I think it was like, all right, I'm gonna fight Ken Parr. And then it was yeah. like, nah, I'm going to fight Jerome Smith. Oh, okay. And you were like, it doesn't matter. So now you're starting to get confidence. How does that, you know, pick up? Where, well, and that thing, I just, you know, I was training go? hard back in Iowa. And, you know, I knew that I had some good training partners back in Iowa. And everybody's still kind of in the sound. Oh, wait. Something happened. Me. It's fun. We're good. We're good. nobody hear me? Yeah, I we're good. Okay. Now I'm unmuted. You guys hear me now? I can go ahead, Jeremy. No, I All apologize. Right. It was me. I'll have him edit my, my stupidity out. So go ahead. But I know, but so anyway, so I was training in Iowa and I knew that I had a good group. We were training hard, but really everybody was in their own little pond. I mean, Chris, I mean, I'm sure it was the same for you. Like I'm training, like, hey, I have this secret. It's called jujitsu. I know how to submit people. Nobody else knows this shit. This is my secret, you know. Um, little did I know that there were little pockets of people all over that thought the same thing, you know. But uh you know, I was training hard. So what I basically, my schedule was I would train Monday through Thursday and then I would drive to the fight on Friday and I'd fight on Saturday or Friday night as well. And then drive home on Sunday and then train Monday through Thursday again. And so I just, I was training all the time. I was training hard. I was fighting every weekend. I was winning most of them. And so, I mean, it's easy to build confidence when I'm winning most of the time I'm training yeah. hard, you know, it's just, it just kept rolling. Oh, it just got it, to the point where this is my schedule. And at that time, man, think about it. I mean, you know, Miltich's team was about as good as anybody in the world. I mean, you had some of the best guys there. You had to be getting confident. I mean, people were winning yeah. titles and doing – I mean, you guys were the best in the world, I, I would have had to say at that time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I exactly got – you know, in, in that run, I had a couple of fights in the UFC. I had a couple of fights for Jeff. I had a couple of fights in, in Japan. I mean, just I'm bouncing all over the world, as were most of the guys in Iowa – Pat was in the UFC as the world champ. And, you know, so, yeah, I mean, it's like I got good training partners. I know we're good. We're training hard. I'm winning fights. So it was easy to just build confidence. Right. So well, <laughs> with the Miltich camp, there came a lot of folklore. Like there's a lot of not only just history there, but the stories that you don't hear are also, you know, pretty incredible once you, once you get the year of somebody, you know, that, that, that was around it. So – in Europe, Lee Murray and Tito Ortiz had like this famous ordeal that like you were forbidden to talk about. You weren't out there at that time. No. 
But do you recall what was being said in the gym afterward? Well, so from what I understand, all of the stories about Lee Nagano Tito are 100% true. <laughs> Pat and all the guys were there. And Tito blames it on the fact that he had dress shoes on. But I trained with Lee Murray, and we've all seen Tito fight. You know, Tito is a very good fighter. He's a big, strong wrestler that will take you down and overpower you. But if he stands up and you punch him, he clearly doesn't like it. Okay? <laughs> that, so there's no arguing that. He's good in the end. You know, he's a talented fighter, but he does not take well to getting hit. And I trained with Lee Murray. And that guy's got fucking thunder in his hands. Well, there's, there's so, also so a little bit of a difference for all, for all the Huntington yeah. Beach bad boy stuff. Lee Murray's the guy with street there cred, street cred, not yeah. not Tito. What yeah. was your what was your experiences with Lee Murray? You know, so looking back, obviously people know Lee's history, <clears throat> obviously the robbery and all that shit. But he really kept all of that stuff at home. When he came to Iowa to train with us, he was focused on training. He stayed in a hotel. He did nothing but train. We always saw the, the, the good side of Lee. You know, he was on his best behavior. So he was just, he was in the gym. He was nice. He was friendly. He was, a, you know, a good training partner, a talented training partner. But the same can always be said. I mean, you look at, you know, I don't want to talk bad about Lee, but I mean, you look at, you look at the most nasty mass murderer in the history of the world. And somebody will say, well, he was my friend. He was nice. To me. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, Jeffrey Dahmer was a good neighbor. Yeah, I mean, Lee Murray's very quiet. Guy. He was he was a friendly guy. He was he was funny. He was he was a great training partner. He was talented, but it's just because all the stuff that he did back home, he left at home. When he was in Iowa, he was on his best behavior, just training hard, wanting to focus on being a good fighter. So, did any of that follow him though? Like, did any of those no. stories get brought up? Did people ask you about him while he was there? None of it, huh? None of it ever happened. None of it ever. I mean. I don't know. I, I, I'm fairly naive, I guess, in, in things like that. So maybe people with a more, with a better eye than me, maybe could have picked up on it, but I did. Cool. That's cool. All right. So I, wait, I, well, I got one question. Since you mentioned lore and uh, the Militage team, uh, talk about your experience and, and what really happened between you and Matt Hughes when you guys fought in Abu Dhabi. <laughs> Come on now, really? You're gonna make me break the silence on that one? It's been 2025. Well, I'll, I, the, the bottom line is, is that with the Henzo thing that happened afterwards, yeah. you know, they, they well, kind of want up to take, take us through, through it. it. Well, so so here's what happened. Matt and I both go to Abu Dhabi, and uh, when we got there, I, I was signed up for I forget like the 215 pound class, and Matt was supposed to be at the time. He, he should have been in the 170 class, but when he signed up, they told him that class, that bracket was full. So they said <laughs> they'd bump him up to 185. So when we get there, he's in my bracket. He's at 215. They bumped him up two classes. And so we go to the guys that are running it. And you guys know how that is. They, they did whatever they wanted. They don't, they don't yeah. care about, you know. Yeah, and Miguel so was like, one hey of guys. them. Yeah. We're like, hey, guys, we agreed to go up one way class, but you have him up two uh you know, he's in my weight class. You know, can you guys put him in 185? I'm like, no, sorry. Brackets are full. And I'm like, well, okay, you've also put him on my end of the bracket. Can you yeah. at least put him on the other end so that we'll meet in the finals if we meet? And they're like, no, brackets are set. It is what it is. I'm like, well, fuck, guys. Here's my training partner. That's yeah. Two weight classes. No. And I'm supposed to face him second round. Like, come Wait, on, Jeremy. guys. Jeremy, I, I don't mean to interrupt you. But no, no, you no. went about this all wrong. 
So, so sorry. go ahead. You started with naivety. All right, so go ahead. I apologize. So go ahead. No, no, no. So it sounds like you did the right thing. Yeah, I mean, we tried. And they're like, look, no, we're not going to move you. He's up two weight classes. We don't care. It is what it is. The brackets are set. Shut up and go. Yeah. And we're like, all right, well, I guess we have to do it. So flip a coin. <laughs> yeah. Well, so we're looking at the brackets. And back then, wrestling was very dominant in ADCC. You know, if you got takedowns, oh, yeah. you won. So Matt is obviously a better wrestler than me. So we're looking at it. And the, uh, so we both win our first match. We're like, okay, what, what are we going to do? And we're looking at the bracket. Whoever won our match was going to fight Tito. And we're thinking, well, this is a wrestling match. Matt is way better suited to wrestle Tito than I am. Tito would take me down and hold me down pretty, pretty easily. I think uh, in a grappling match, I, you know, so we decided that it would probably be better for Matt to, to go, to go on. And then Matt Hume, who was kind of running things comes up to us and, and kind of on the slide says, Hey guys, just so you know, um, they're giving a $2,500 bonus for the best throw of the match and a $2,500 bonus for fastest submission of the match. <laughs> what a good dude. That's yeah. a friend. <laughs> That's a yeah, friend. So, and so Hughes and I are like, well, We'll do both. Let's do it. Yeah, fuck them. <laughs> they're they're going to screw us. You know, if they put us on opposite ends of the bracket, we would go at it for the finals. You know, we'll. You know, I, there's no reason for that, but you won't. You won't concede anything. You put him up to two weight classes incorrectly. You put us on the same end of the bracket incorrectly. Now they're asking you to be righteous about the situation. Right. Yeah. We're going to make some fucking money. <laughs> so yes. We decided now nah, we're going to get the best. We're going to get the best throw and fastest submission, and obviously, and then and then Henzo's guy got a faster submission. <laughs> I think I think Henzo actually submitted uh, Fatosa with yeah. like a guillotine instantaneous yeah. kind in of like three seconds or something. It's like tap go submission. What? Yeah, you can't beat that. So I mean, you know what? Who did the submission first? Was it? You? No, they did Horn and, and Hughes had it. The kind oh, of yeah. word spread. So, so you know what they did, Jeremy? They sat there and they go, "Wow, we just got it. We're not going to get both. We just got to do this real quick. That, right. That's it." Well, so, so even more. So it's funny. So the referee says, "Go." I I ride away from like an over under clinch. I push into Matt really hard, which is a perfect setup for a nice clean belly to belly, right? So he launches me. I roll up, he puts me in a guillotine, and I tap. Um, and so, obviously, it's quick, too. Afterwards, I can't even look up. I'm smirking. I'm trying to hide my face because it's everybody knew. You know, we go walking back, and the other competitors were laughing at us. They all knew. Uh, and then <laughs> afterwards, afterwards, uh, they're, they're trying to decide who gets the best throw of the, the match. And Josh Barnett is there. And I think, I think it's when Mark Kerr threw him. And so they were arguing. <laughs> it's it's funny. I, I I shouldn't say it, but it's it's funny as hell. So they're arguing about it and trying to decide whose throw is better, who should get best throw of the match. And Josh Barnett goes, "Well, our fucking throw was real. He actually threw me." <laughs> and I, I'm like, "Yeah, he's got a point." <laughs> oh, oh, also, Jerry. Also, the aforementioned Matt Hume happened to be his coach. Who? Right, whole world. Huh? So, yeah, so we we ended up getting best throw of the tournament, and and Henzo got fastest. <laughs> you know what? The good thing is, Jeremy, you never let like an opportunity slip by you. We're not going to take one of these. We're taking both. <laughs> both Absolutely. of these. Why not? If we're going. We're going all in. We're taking both. Hey, you know what I mean? It's like it's it's already well, going to be obvious. You're already starting to show that 
you know, you're starting to be a little more confident in what in your game and stuff. Although you weren't able to hide a little bit of a, a little bit of shenanigans there. But oh, now, yeah. <laughs> now let me ask you a, a, another moment with Hughes that I give you a lot of credit for. And I was present there was the Carlos Newton fight because, you know, I'm not sure like in nowadays with the boxing commission <laughs> and everything that Newton doesn't win that fight by virtue of, I, I don't know at the end of it, but there was chaos. And I remember Hughes kind of like wondering what's going on. I remember you very, clear, very clearly yeah. telling him, Matt, you won the fight and very, and that's, that's just you becoming a corner man and becoming a, a man of this business, man. Talk about yeah. that. Yeah. Well, so that's one thing that, you know, a lot of people don't quite understand what really happened there. And obviously I I'm probably biased because I'm obviously Matt's trainer, but uh, so, you know, Matt has Carlos pressed up against the cage. And if you just think about it logically, if he were to just pass out, his knees would buckle and he would just crumple down to his butt but he very clearly stepped back and slammed Carlos down. And then when Carlos lets go, you can see that Matt is wobbly, but he puts his hand out to hold his balance. He didn't fall over. He posts his hand to hold. So he was, Matt was about as close as you could get to going out, but not out. You know, he posts his weight and then he gets up and he doesn't quite know what's going on. Cause he was really close to going out, mm. but he looks up at me and he goes, Hey, what happened? You know, so he was that close to going out, but he, he was conscious. You know, if you give both of them, uh, just let them go until somebody's, you know, coherent, Matt was going to win that race. Yeah. Matt was closer to consciousness than Carlos, but not, <laughs> not by much, right? <laughs> yeah. So he looks up at me and he goes, what happened? And I go, you just won the title. And that's when you see him turn and he, and he goes crazy. So. Yeah. You know, that was, uh, I had seen one of the top five, amazing moments in mixed martial arts. You know, and, and it, I think it was capped off because the title was involved. You know, had there not been a title, oh, it been a really cool incident, but, you know, because the title changed hands and it was avenging the loss of, you know, his trainer, Pat Militich, it made it all more right. special. Yeah. All right, so one of the things I like to do with guys like you is I like to go through your record and I try to, like, pick out controversial fights that I know probably sting a little bit. Sure. So all of yours that I could find just without looking at any video, happened overseas. So uh, you fought in rings Tokyo against Hiromosudu uh, Kenhara. Do you recall that fight? Hiromitsu Kanehara, yes. Yes. Yep. All right, so you lost a decision to yes. him. Did you feel that you lost that fight? No. <laughs> Man, so now I'm one for one. So do you want to give us so, a couple lines up? Because I got more. I think that was a pretty close fight. Um, that was my first fight in the rings organization. And... I didn't understand at the time that, like we said before, you know, they, they really appreciate good kickboxing on your feet and good active grappling on the ground. Um, so, you know, I wasn't much on my feet. He probably won the stand up portion of that fight. There wasn't a whole lot. We, you know, we were on the ground a bit more, but on the ground, you know, I would, I would take him down and I would mount him, but I can't punch him in the face. Right. So I mounted on him, which to me says, Hey, I'm winning this fight but he's laying under the mouth, punching me in the body. So to them, he's scoring points. He's winning. The position doesn't matter as much as the fact that he's punching me. Even, yeah, though, in an MMA, even though in an MMA setting, the mount is way more valuable. But it's only valuable because you can punch him in the face. That's weird. Kanahara was, was a, a guy of Korean descent, too, that he had his... 
he had a position in rings, put it that way. Like he was one yeah. of their one of their guys at, 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 in their heyday too. Sure. So it was, it was a good fight, and it was pretty close. It wasn't like a lopsided fight that I that I got robbed, but I think I should have won that fight. But I think maybe they gave him a little more credit for for inconsequential striking, and they didn't really appreciate the the better grappling. But okay, so speaking of of, of gentlemen of, of uh, positions in events. You also went to fought an extreme brawl in England, James uh, Zekic. Yes, that was that was an interesting fight. Uh, that was so it was a draw. That was yes, a draw. It, it was a draw. James Zekic is an incredibly tough guy. Uh, he's he's talented and he's tough. But that was a that was a unique scenario. So <laughs> I did you win the fight, dude? I beat him half to death. <laughs> <laughs> Two for two. You hear that, Chris Lytle? So go ahead. You're good so, at this, brother. You're good. So, so here's the thing. This is this is an entertaining story, and I, like I don't want to sound I don't want to sound like I'm disparaging Zikik because he's a he's a tough guy, he's a great fighter, he's a talented. Please do. Fighter. But so I cornered Tim Sylvia in that fight. Uh, in his fight, I forget what what fight it was, but I cornered him in the UFC Friday night. I drove to the airport. After that, I cornered him in Vegas. I drove to the airport, flew to England that night, slept half the day, got up, and went to the fight to fight James Zickick. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's how I did that. <laughs> so, because, like, that, that's all there is to it. I think we ended up fighting on, like, a, what ended up being a Sunday night in, in England. So, I, <laughs> I, I cornered Tim Sylvia on Friday night. I go straight to the airport. I fly out at, like, 11 at night or midnight or whatever. I Bro. fly all day. I get to England at like noon. I sleep for like six hours. I get up. I go to the fight at six at night and fight James Zickett. Hey, and bro, didn't you ever just think of saying, I can't corny at this time. I'll get the next one. Fuck that. <laughs> I've done it before. <laughs> nope, I'm, I'm running it. So, but Monty, Monty knew that that was going to be the case. You know, we planned it. I knew that was the case and I'm okay with that. Uh, and Monty, so Monty being the, genius manager that he is he said look we're coming over to your turf we're coming over to your judges if this fight goes to a decision it's a draw we're not using judges if this fight goes uh, to, if this guy's this fight goes to the distance it's i a gotta draw. hand it to him smart move yeah smart yeah so good it that that's that's one of two times that monty kind of burned me the other one is with curtis uh with uh i'm sorry uh randy couture so so james zickick is a tough guy but a, th- a three round, five, five minute rounds, you know, 15 minute long fight. I spent 14 minutes of it mounted on him, fucking punching him in the face. Damn. Dude, I, I took him down. I mounted him. I beat him to death for 15 minutes. At the end of the fight, both of his eyes were swelled shut. You know, you can't blame Monty for that type of thinking because it brings me to your next opponent. Uh, was it... Uh, Kitachuru Yamimaya in China. I don't, you got I don't a draw against him as well. I'd have to look that one up. Shit. I'm going to have to look that one up. Then you know what? I missed. Because you'd remember it if you got screwed on that one. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that was also a draw as well. You got a draw in China. And then you fought uh, Kiyoshi Tamura in Japan where you lost the decision. Yep. Tamura was another one. They used kind of rings rules. That was, a, that was the uh, Coliseum show. I think it was one of those one and done. It was a new organization. They put it together, but it was basically uh, a rings or pancreas style fight. Stand Did you up win? Fight. 
No. Well, oh, I should have won. Yes. <laughs> Three for four, Chris Lytle. Three for four. <laughs> I lost the decision, uh, but I, I felt I should have won that fight. You know, he again, he did a good job of like, uh, you know, I out grappled him, but he did some some minimal striking during the grappling. And so they gave that more credit, even though I was mounted on him or, you know, controlling position and that kind of thing. So, you, you, you know, I think, I think like sometimes when I go to Japan too, looking back fights, I thought I won later on. I was like, man, I, maybe their scoring was just a little different. And I didn't quite, <laughs> I mean, they didn't explain that to us. You know, they didn't really ever tell you this is our criteria, how we're judging. So you just went over there and they knew it a hundred percent. We didn't. So yeah. I think maybe that had something to do with some of my losses. I'm like, I won that fight. But then looking back, man, it's like, that's just how they judge it. What do you, is that possible? You think? Oh, Absolutely. I mean, I got, I got, I kind of got burned twice with uh, my fight with Ricardo Arona. I fought him twice and lost two decisions, but yeah, absolutely. They, they kind of had their own criteria and they, you know, from, from an MMA perspective, like if I take you down and mount you, I'm winning Yeah. because we all know what's going to happen when I mount you. Right. But mm-hmm. in Japan, when you can't punch somebody in the face on the ground, the mount is really no different than the guard. Or side <laughs> you know, if the guy under the mount is punching you in the body. He's winning. Yeah. Uh. Well, well, yeah, I mean, you know, for most of us right now, you're you're losing, you're mounted. Yeah. Uh, but so so my fight with Arona, you know, the first fight, uh, you know, he he takes me down, and you know, I'm I'm all over submissions. I come close to a guillotine. I'm I'm looking for arm locks. I'm scrambling all over. I'm going after submissions, going crazy, and he wins the decision. And so Monty goes up to the judges and goes, "Look, what are you guys looking for in your in your judging criteria?" And the judges go, "Well, Arona was, you know, he was more aggressive." And he controlled top position, so we thought he deserved the decision. So then in our second fight, I stuff all his takedowns. I beat the crap out of him on our feet. I'm controlling the top position the whole time, and I lose a decision. And Monty goes to them and goes, hey, what are you guys looking for for your fucking criteria here? And they go, well, Arona was looking for submissions. He was a little bit more aggressive. Yo, Jeremy. You guys talk about like you. I, I hate to say this, Chris, Jeremy, both of you guys are scary. You guys are kind of looking at the glass half full. Like people are all good. Everybody is like myself. They're just such good human beings. Man, the scorecard was filled out before you even started walking right. to that ring. Hey, what, what, what they should have said was when Monty said, "Hey, how'd the fight go?" They should have said, "Well, he's Brazilian and he looks like a bodybuilder model. He's got great abs, so we're gonna yeah. give him the fight." Yeah, it helps. Yeah. That helps our organization more by having this yes. guy. That's what they should have said. All yep. right. So you said Monty kind of screwed you over twice. Does he keep being one of them? I, I think there's actually one more time Monty got you good, and that was the September 6, two thousand three IFC tournament where you were actually in it with Babalu and Forrest yes. Griffin. Yeah. I mean, that's a that was a rough tournament. What was the payday on that? So it was it was fifty grand to win the tournament. That's not oh. bad. I take it back. I take it back. back. Mindy did all not right. Bad. Okay. I got second <laughs> place. <laughs> 12 grand. Second place. 12 grand. Feel good. Two and one. Still, still good. Fun. Still three fights. That's a yes. ouch. <laughs> no, so here's the thing. Here's the other place. Monty actually did well by me in that fight, but the other place sure. he screwed me was when my fight with Randy Couture. So the Japanese organizations didn't really understand judging. Monty had to explain it to him. So so uh, we'll, we'll take a poll here, see how well you guys know judging. If Judge A scores the fight for fighter A, or the you know the judges score for fighter A, and they score it for fighter B, and the third judge scores it a draw. What is the what is the decision? Split decision draw. Draw. Or or, or yeah, split decision draw or majority draw. 
Majority draw. Uh, yeah. Majority yeah. draw is different. Right, yeah, majority draws two judges draw and one judge gives it to fighter A, right? Correct. Yes. So the so the Japanese used to think if two judges called it a draw and one judge gave it and the judge gave it to fighter A, then fighter A won. No. Majority draw. So Monty went to them and told them, hey, this is not how it works. You guys got it wrong. If two judges, you know, if the judges call it a draw, it's a draw. Draw. Majority yeah. draw. That's what happened in my fight with Couture. Ooh. In, the, in the regulation, they had it a draw. Two judges had it a draw. One judge had it me winning. And because Monty Ooh. had just educated them on what a majority draw <laughs> is, they kept we go to overtime, and Randy wins the overtime. Thanks, Monty. Uh. <laughs> so, yeah, Monty screws me over there, too. That's funny. Well, talk about the AFC tournament, if you don't mind, because that was a historic night. Yeah, so that was a great fight. That was uh, honestly that was the the best performance of my life. Everybody really? asked me what have I ever done best. That 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 night was the best performance of my night of my life. And and Chris, again, you can relate to this. Every single time you fight as as a fighter, any athlete, any kind of competitive athlete, you look back at your performance and you go, look, I could have done this better. I could have done this better. I should have done this. I could have been better here. All of those things. But in that night. I was the best I've ever been. I look back, no, look, I was firing on all cylinders. Wow. My fight with Forrest went great. I was, I was throwing punches. I was moving. I was sharp. Everything was in slow motion. I was, I like, I was in the matrix. I was watching this shit happen and just everything was just, it was that state. Right. And so going into the fight with uh, the finals with, with uh, Babalu, I'm like, this is in the bag. You know, my first round, I, Jesus. Fought, a, I, I fought a, I fought a Russian that was 16 and 0. And Oof. smoked him. I broke his arm in the first round. In the second round, I'm doing better against, you know, Fault Forrest, who we all now see as an amazing fighter. We didn't know him then. But, like, in the second round, I'm like, look, I'm, I'm, I'm beating the shit out of this guy. I'm a grappler, and I'm outboxing this guy. Like, I can't get better. This is my night. Every, the stars have aligned. This is my night. I go into the third round. I'm like, look, Babalu is half dead. I, you know, I fought four minutes in my first fight and broke a guy's arm. I fought seven minutes in my second fight. Don't have a mark on me and knock the guy out. Babalu fought a, a, a war with Trevor Prangley and won a decision. And then he fights another war with Shogun and wins in the third round, like late in the third <laughs> round. with the This guy has two full fights. He's fucking half dead. Done. All I have to do is walk into the fight and it's mine. <laughs> and so that's all I thought the whole time. Sooner or later, he's going to drop dead. Sooner or later, he's going to fall. He can't keep this time. up. Just His time. eye is swelled shut. He can't move. He can't fight. I'm having the best night of my life. The star this is my night. I'm going to win. It's destined. And I it just never happened. The moment where he fell dead never happened. <laughs> <laughs> he, just, he just kept chugging along and pushing hard enough. And he won. Uh. So there were some other circumstances there. You know, the, the second round ended a bit early. And then there was the whole foul <laughs> thing that kind of fucked me. But again, I mean, had I gone in in the first round and thought, I'm going to go after this guy like a savage. I'm going to fucking ruin him in the first round. I could have done it. Yeah. The whole time I'm like, look, this is easy. It's in the bag. I just got to be here. All I got to do is not lose. I just coast. I just coast. It's going to uh... win. You know? Jeez. You know, yeah. let me let me ask you because this reminded me too. You know, you're so honest, fuck man. You know, it's such a good guy. If there was one fight, I would think 
because you you know you had that underdog thing a lot of the time too. But there was one fight oh, yeah. where you were like, I mean, do you regret the Elvis Sinisic fight? Like, do you think? Because I, I I thought you were fit. You were that was your fight, man. You know you that hurt me, dude. I'm not gonna lie, <laughs> dude. It hurt me too. <laughs> um, I don't know if I would say I regret it. I mean, obviously, I yeah. I mean, I wish I'd won that fight, but I don't think. I mean, regret implies that I kind of did something wrong or I, I maybe got overconfident, but I don't think I did. I went in there thinking, hey, I mean, I should win this fight. I'm the favored fighter. Um, I'm the better fighter, I think. Um, but Elvis is good. You know, I made a mistake and he capitalized on it. You know, uh, I, I still remember to this day what exactly happened. So I was in his guard and I put my left knee in his tailbone and I start stretching out trying to pass his guard. And I put my... I put my right forearm in his thigh and I'm starting trying to press his guard open to, to open it up. And he had long legs. So he slips his leg up over my shoulder a little bit and, and crosses his ankles. I'm like, okay, this is bad. I should, <laughs> I, sh- I should go into his guard and kind of reset and start over. So I push my right arm in and it got stuck. My arm went in, but my shoulder didn't. And so he got me in that kind of weird arm lock kind of arm lock triangle combo um, but I mean, I can't, I can't blame anybody for that. I mean, I, I made a slight mistake, like literally just a physical mistake. Instead of moving forward, I put my arm forward and he capitalized on it. You know, he's good. It's all it takes uh, in this for, you know, that yeah, more than anybody, man. Jeez. Everybody yeah. makes mistakes sometimes. So yeah, I was, you know, it was a short fight, but I was winning the fight up until then. And, well, I, you know, but that's the way it goes, man. That's, 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 that's what we all love about MMA, right? Anything can happen at any time. Somebody that's makes a, a mistake and the tables turn. Yeah, it's the game. All right, so, yeah. you know, Jeremy, you're, you're such, like, a, an even-keeled guy. Like, there's there's not, like, a lot happening outside of the ring involving you. Like, controversy in your name, yes. they're really not synonymous with each other. But you had issues with Josh Berkman that yes. it ended up after you finished him, you spit on him. <laughs> How does it get to that level? Well, so that, that's kind of a long story. That goes back to uh, a good good friend of mine, a good training partner here in Utah, a guy named Justin Ellison. Oh, Justin yeah. Ellison is, uh, yeah, so I, if you follow the sport or back in the early days, he was very well known around the grappling circuit, very, very talented grappler, and actually a, a pretty talented fighter as well, but he had, he had a little bit of a weird quirk where he had some kind of mental disconnect in a fight he was one of those guys that was really good in the gym, but could never put it together in the fight. Um, okay. We've all seen him, you know, so he's a lot of guys like that. Yeah. One of the best training partners I've ever had. Very, very talented. Just couldn't put it together in the fight. Uh, So anyway, so he and Josh Berkman is also a local fighter. They both, both of them born and raised in Utah. And so they're constantly going back and forth. They're on the scene constantly. You know, they, they're, they're both at fights and they're back and forth, blah, blah, blah. So it goes on and on. Berkman is not a very nice guy. And so, you know, there were times where, you know, Justin would fight on a show and Berkman would show up in the audience and like, you know, just heckle him and blah, 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 do shit like that. And so I had heard at one point, and there's a lot of hearsay here. So I, I, you know, I've, this is a little bit embarrassing because I, I generally don't react this way, but there's a lot of hearsay that goes on. So it is what it is. So, I had heard that Berkman would never accept a fight with Justin. They, they tried to pair him up a few times. Justin was about 210. Berkman was about 195 or so. So they're, they're close enough back in the day to go ahead and throw that fight together. 
but Berkman would never accept a fight with him, but he was always talking shit about it. So I heard that at one fight, Berkman was the main event. And as he walked out of the fight, he saw a woman that he thought was my buddy Justin's wife and he spit on her. Oh, Jesus. Oh, man. That, again, I don't know if it's true. That's what I heard. I Again, I, I, I feel bad because I kind of let emotions get the better of me. I believe uh, it. But yeah, I mean, and I know Bergman, it's not terribly out of the question. But again, I don't know for sure, but that's what I heard. So then Justin's a good friend of mine and good training partner of mine. Bergman is constantly talking shit, but refuses to take a fight with him. And then Bergman accepts a fight with me. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. And you got to do it. Now yeah. I'm going to fuck you up because you won't yeah. fight my buddy Justin. I'm going to fuck you up. And so I was really looking forward to hurting him. He was running his mouth a lot before the fight. That show that we fought on was actually a two-day show. So, you know, we had we had a fight Friday night and then the rest of the card Saturday night. And so uh, they had kind of like a, I don't know, a, a mini main event Friday night. And then I was the main event with Berkman Saturday night. So Berkman shows up Friday night in the audience wearing a hat, you know, like a homemade trucker cap that says, Jeremy Horn is the world's number one most boring fighter or some shit like that. You know, just still always talking shit, always being a loud mouth, always being a jackass. So then in the second, you know, so I'm like, look, I'm going to fuck this guy up. I'm going to break his arm or something. I fully intended, like, if I catch an arm, like, I'm going to break it. I'm not going to wait for him to tap. I'm going to snap his arm. I don't like this guy. He's been talking shit to my buddy. He took a fight with me. I'm going to end his career. You know, I was going to hurt him. So the fight goes on. I don't know if you guys saw the fight, but I was trying to throw punches at him. He shoots in, he takes me down a couple of times. Eventually, like, he shoots in, he takes me down. And I'm, I'm a little bit of a believer in karma. And I put him in a guillotine. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, if I let go of this guillotine, it could go badly. I, you know, you keep giving up submissions and in favor of something else. Sooner or later, it's, you're going to pay for that. Yeah. I, I can't keep letting go of these submissions. So I choke him unconscious. That's, that's kind of another funny story, but uh, I choke him unconscious and I get up and the whole fight was only like a minute and a half. And I get up and I'm like, I'm like fuck, I'm so fucking angry. I wanted to hurt him so badly, but because I'm, you know, I'm like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to test fate. You give me a guillotine a couple of times. I'm going to finish it. But I was so fucking angry. I wanted to hurt him so badly that I was like, what do I do with that? Fuck it. I just spit on him. I was just so angry. I had no other, <laughs> like I had no other outlet because the fight was over. I wanted to hurt him so badly, but the fight was over. It, it's, it's funny how sometimes when your drone's going like that and you're in the moment, like the, you do things that it's almost like you're looking at yourself from outside. You're like, was that just me? Or even like yeah. your interviews and stuff, you say like, that's the dumbest thing ever. I wouldn't say that you did. I just, I saw the video. I, I don't, yep. that was me. I don't get it. Like, who is that jackass? That's not me. Cause I would never <laughs> say that. Yeah, absolutely. I look back and I'm like, fuck, that was so out of character for me. Cause I mean, like, even when guys, I don't like, I don't do that. But yeah, just something came over me that night, man. All, everything came together. Kind of the opposite of the Babalu night. All the stars <laughs> came together negatively. And I was just like, <laughs> perfect storm of something happening. So, so Jeremy, you were, obviously operating during the outlaw days of MMA, as, as we talked about at the beginning of this interview. The good old days, as they're known. <laughs> I'd say about 90% of your opponents were on some sort of PED. Yes. I can't say that about you. Why were you so against PEDs when the, the UFC had like just a body type, an eye test that you had to pass 
to even talk to them before you even got into that cage. Yeah. Are you calling me fat, first of all? No, nah, I just, you know, you got dead Big bone. I mean, I mean, I'm fat. Big bone. <laughs> yes. Um, so how come you never to, went down that road? I, I have always felt, and I still do, that technique and intelligence is the, the prime requisite for this sport. Is that is that bad? Is that is that a and d nerd? Uh, 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 <laughs> you got the right spot, dude. You're in the right? right spot. So that's the thing. So intelligence and technique are, are the two most important factors in this sport. Uh, so having big muscles does not win fights. They help. It's a tool like any other. But if I'm better than you, I'm still going to beat you. And I don't care how big you are. I don't care how muscular you are. Strength is not is not the end all be all, you know, factor. It's intelligence and technique. That's what does it. That's why I've always tried to stay small. You know. Yeah, I just don't give a shit about muscles. If you're big, I don't care. It doesn't hurt me. Well, let me ask you: use those muscles. Is that is that a little bit of an old school like? And we've talked a lot about steroids here. That there is that old school feeling of like steroids are are for strength and muscles, but. Man, if it's a 15, limited 15 round, do you want a guy that's like on conditioning steroids and, and oxygen intake and, and some of the other stuff that, you know, modern guys have access to? Because that could make a difference, don't you think? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I feel like if somebody is, if somebody's going to take steroids, then they probably overvalue their strength and fitness a little bit much which means that they're probably not putting the time into their technique and intelligence that they should. And it's, it's not, it's not a hundred percent true, but that's kind of the way it goes. You know, we only have 24 hours in a day. So if you're going to spend that many, that much time and focus on building up your body, you're probably slipping on building up your technique and your, and your fight IQ. So, but you know, there are some guys that put it together well, uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, look at a perfect example like Polo Costa and uh, Adesanya. Mm-hmm. Adesanya is certainly physically sound. I mean, he's good. He's strong. But he clearly puts way more work into his his technique and his intelligence. And Paulo Costa put a little bit more work into physicality and didn't and and couldn't put it together. That's yeah, just all there is to it, you know. Yeah, You've got yeah, for sure. Resources, and you got to put more time into technique and, and intelligence, and certainly. Being strong is important, but it's not as important as being being technically sound and smart. So Mike, I, you might want to take over for me to piggyback up this a little bit. Yeah. 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 All right. So I mean, you know, you've been at this for a long time. When did you start? Ninety-six, maybe. Um, you know, can can you walk us through a little bit of the the changes? Because back earlier, I, I think that's a lot more relevant is what you're saying. Technique, I think did. I mean, at some point, would you say? in the more modern era, does it take some physical abilities and strength to, to compete at this level or, or not? What do you think about the evolution of the sport? Can you talk about that? Yeah. Yeah. So it certainly does. The sport has changed quite a bit. The sport is now, the sport is now a sport where it used to be real close to a real fight. Man. Now, now it's a sport. So that's part of it. But um, yeah. So I, 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 again, I just feel like, you know, back in the day, we, we all trained really hard, but, and I still do this today with, with my fighters that I train, I think being able to perform good technique and good clarity and good intelligence under pressure is, is supremely important. You know, when, when that guy is in your garden, he's trying to punch the shit out of you. You need to be able to stay calm 
and defend properly and move properly, if you panic and freak out, that your guard is meaningless. It doesn't matter how good your guard is if you can't do it under pressure. So it still comes down to good IQ and good, good intelligence. And in the sport today, yes, the physicality is becoming a bigger factor because a lot of those things are being taken off the table because now we can't knee people in the head on the ground. You can't kick somebody in the head on the ground. People get stand-ups. People get, you know, they, 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 they grab the cage. You get rounds. You get stand-ups. All of these things favor the athlete. They favor the guy that wants to just stand up and be physical and strong and swing hard. Uh, you know, it, it kind of goes back to the whole, the whole early days of the, the, the Gracie mentality. You know, the, the, the reason that Gracie said, we don't want to fight anymore because you guys are implementing time limits. You guys remember the analogy they used about uh, dropping somebody off in the middle of the ocean, right? You guys remember that one? Mm -hmm. So yeah. for the people listening, basically what they said was, if you take somebody out in the middle of the ocean and you say, look, I'm going to drop you off in the middle of the ocean. If you survive for five hours, I'll come back and rescue you. <laughs> they'll make it. People can tread water for, for five hours. It sucks, but they'll do it. But if you take somebody out in the ocean and you drop them off and you leave and you say, look, I'm never coming back. Then they're probably going to die in an hour because they give up. They're done. The, 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 exactly. The mentality, the notion of I have to do this forever kills them so a time limit means if i take you down and i can stay on top of you for five minutes i can win and it changes the mentality of the sport you know it, it makes it so that somebody can can play a game and win that game which is moving away from good technique you know good tech you know you've got to have a good guard chris you always had an amazing guard you were always you know hard to hurt and and, and, and mobile and shit like that that shit matters back in the day when a fight would go on as long as it needed to. Now a fight goes on, goes on now at most 25 minutes. So your guard only, your, your cardio and your guard only have to be 25 minutes long. It changes the dynamic and it changes the focus of the sport. So yeah, now being a big, strong athlete and being strong for 25 minutes is more important than being a good technical fighter forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I always used to think like when, when it comes to, you know, you, you go through a, a thousand people at the gym, you know, and, and find this guy like this guy's special. But I mean, you know, you, I found like it takes a couple of things. You need somebody who has like great work ethic, you know, great dedication of time at some level, great athletic skills and, and like a, a mental toughness. I mean, it has to be all those to be special. Is there anything in particular you think is the most important to become a good fighter? Um, I, I really think uh, to me, being able to perform under pressure is the biggest thing. Like, you know, I, I used to think, you know, I, I've trained fighters for a long time. And uh, uh, I used to think that there, there were two types of people, people that were either, either born tough or they were born pussies and you're one <laughs> or the other. Somebody punches you in the face and you smile at them or they punch you in the face and you cry and you're <laughs> one or the other, right? And then I realized that that's not the case at all. There, there are those two, but yeah. the majority of the people are born in the middle. Mm. And they, they could be trained to be tough. If you bring them along slowly and you, and you tap them in the face and you build up that toughness, they can build to that level of, of toughness and they can become a fighter. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if, you, if, you, if, if you train somebody, if you find somebody that has that mental toughness and that ability to stay calm under pressure and do what's right 
when the shit hits the fan, that's what I'm looking for. That's what matters to me the most. Like, again, I don't want to call anybody out. I don't want to make anybody feel bad, but go ahead. <laughs> you don't have to say name. <laughs> well, just rhyme, rhyme your name. Let's guess. We all saw Vitor <laughs> Belfort. Punch, we all saw Vitor Belfort punch from the bottom of the mount when he was under Chris Weidman, right? We all know that is not the right thing to do, right? <laughs> Correct. We all know that that is an absolute panicky rookie thing to do. Yeah. We all we all know that the right thing to do is turn and fight that position and recover your guard, even if it means taking a few punches to do it, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But his mental clarity, his mental toughness failed him at that point, and he didn't do what was right. <laughs> What I want to see is somebody, when I say, when I tell them, look, not being mounted is the most important thing in this scenario. So when that guy starts to mount you, you put all of your focus on fighting this leg and you recover your guard. And then I watch him do it. And that guy gets cracked a couple of times and he doesn't waver. He stays strong and he does what's right. Even when it sucks. That's what I look for more than anything. That's what I look for that says, this guy can be really fucking good. Because he can do what's right when when shit sucks. Yeah. yeah. When when it's not comfortable to do what's right, he can stay focused and he can do what's right. That to me is what I look for to say. Look, this guy's going to be really good. Because you can train anybody to have good technique. You yeah. don't have to be a good athlete. I'm a I'm a clumsy retard. You know. You can teach, you can teach anybody to have Delay. good technique. <laughs> it's, it's funny. It's I, I remember. You know, you talk about fight clarity and having your mind into it. You know, I remember you I may, may have been one of the Utah fights that Monty did in the early days. You're in side control mounted, you know, side control, and your fucking corner is giving you, like, the worst, like, telling you to break the rules, basically. They're like, elbow him, and he can't elbow, you know, or something. And, and Horn secures the position, takes his mouthpiece out and explains the rules to his corner man so they'll stop annoying him. Do you <laughs> yes. remember who was that? Dude, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I, I don't remember, man. I've had so many fights, it's hard to remember <laughs> all the things. But, uh, but that's the thing, like, yes, a, a fight is is important, and it's a, it's a wild, crazy event, but it's really not. It's, I mean, there are two guys trying to hurt each other, and uh, when you're trying to box with me and trying to hurt me, yeah, I'm not. I'm focused on you. But when you grab me and I've got your arms tied up, I should have the clarity to be able to look over in my corner and have a conversation with them. Yeah. It's not. It's not that. It's not that crazy at that moment in time. And if you can disconnect from that and focus on other things, then obviously <laughs> you've got you're firing on all cylinders and your head is where it should be. Were you a good student in school or did you just find jujitsu and it just kind of made sense to you? Um, I was, I was capable of being a good student in school, school, but I wasn't because most of the time the teachers pissed me off. (laughs) (laughs) I was, so I was, I was always pretty smart. Um, and I always had a pretty easy time in school. So most of the time I was bored and I didn't pay attention. Um, but I would do my homework easily and turn it in and I would get good grades until the teacher pissed me off. And then I would just stop doing my homework and I would do just enough to barely pass. So it just got shut down. All right. Yeah, so oh, no, I got, I got another question. One more question here for you. So back it up a little bit. You were, you, you were training over, uh, you know, Militich, you know, Iowa, you guys are probably 
some of the best in the world at the time. Hottest the team in the world time. at one point. I mean, I mean, what exactly was there anything in particular that happened? You kind of took off. It all kind of fell apart at some point. Was there anything in particular? Or was it just time to move on? What happened there that made you guys all kind of split up? Because that was the most dominant force for a while, and then it just kind of faded away, like everything does. But was there anything in particular? Not for me. For me, I, I met a girl. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> women, women ruin everything. So, uh, so Jennifer Howe is. Uh, we were together for 17 years. We're we're still together. Wow. Uh, yeah, and you know her. She was a fighter with yeah. Monty. Yeah. Um, you know, I met her because we we were managed by the same guy, and she would come to Iowa and train with us, and we hit it off. So. When we started developing a relationship, I was like, look, I'm done here in Iowa. This is where my life's going. I'm going to Utah. This is, this is the girl for me. So I moved to Utah. Um, but as far as what happened in Iowa, um, I, I will speculate, and this is from a lot of other people that have told me this. This is not my opinion. But I've been told through several sources that I was kind of the glue that kept the gym together. I agree with that. You know, Pat, Pat was a very good coach and he was a very good motivator and he was, he was very important for the, for the group, but he kind of took the role of the figurehead mm. and, and, you know, the, the, the team captain, so to speak, you know, I, I, I certainly, I don't want this to sound wrong. I don't want it to sound like I'm downplaying his presence, but a lot of the guys would come to me and go, Hey man, I, I can't figure out how to do this arm lock. Help me out. Or I can't figure out how to do this. What do I do? Um, and so I ended up being the guy that a lot of times was the one I was kind of the problem solver for all the guys like, Hey, here's how you can fix this. Here's how you can do this. Here's how you can get better at this. And so a lot of the guys have told me that I was kind of the glue that kept everybody together. I agree with that. So then when I moved to Utah, everything kind of started to filter out and splinter and then everything kind of, kind of went their own way. Um, so like, I, I don't even like saying that because it sounds kind of negative, but no, I, I, I mean, people tell me that that's, that's kind of the way it went. I mean, well, the, I, thing I, about, the thing about I, Pat too, though, is that, you know, he was a father figure that he was a little bit of an older fighter. And at some point the business and, you know, you do got to take care of stuff like that. So you can kind of see where, he gets spread out. And there's not enough to go around. You leave. And now they're short father figures there. You got right. the young guys there. You know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah everything has a, a time and place. In looking for guidance, and he just didn't have enough time to put into all of them. Definitely. Yeah, he was doing, like, the police tactical training. I'm right. going to be honest with you. Like, yeah. like, you're commentating. But, like, Jeremy, when we do this 50 Fight Club, it's like we've got, like, some benchmarks that you got to have. You got to be ripped off by a promoter, fought in at least, like, three countries, um, a couple of real bad decisions when you go over there. Like we, we've got like, you know, boxes that you got to check before. Like, we're like, Oh yeah, that's a legit 50 fight fighter. And in my opinion, like when these big gyms start going to law enforcement training, it's pretty much they, they've, they peaked. They're, they're coming down the hill and the wheels are starting Catching to in, baby. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't say that, man. I do a lot with law enforcement here. <laughs> I, I was going to say that. I was going to say you, you moved to Utah and you got your gym going too. And you, it's, I do. you know, you got how, how many years is it? 10 years. You got to have at least 10 I, years. I, I've been here in Utah for 17 years now. Ooh. And I've been, I've been training cops for probably 10. That's awesome. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge supporter of law enforcement and military. I think they all need to be 
you know, they, they, you know, obviously in the world we live in today, you guys all see the news, you see what's going on. Cops are, are massively undertrained. They yep. don't have the skills they need to do their job. They get shit on every day by everybody from every side. Um, and so, yeah, I've been, I've been training cops for a while. I run a few different programs trying to get them better training and I'm getting ready to launch another one here, uh, to try to build some, some more, uh, just get more people training, get better, better training for the cops. So, All right, so can we throw some, no, I start throwing names at him. I mean, he is, his repertoire is incredible. Bring it, All bring right. it. Come on, man. All right. Gilbert Yvonne. Fucking lunatic. <laughs> A very, very talented fighter, but crazy as fuck. Just didn't give a shit. He, he will do anything to win a fight. Yeah, I always thought, like, if there was ever a referee that was I promote here in the Chicagoland area, if there was ever a referee that I really didn't like, I'd just bring in Ebel for a fight. You know what I mean? It's like, well, right, so Matt when I When I fought Ivel in Pride, uh, I talked to Matt Hume because he was there, and I go, look, man, this guy's known for dirty shit. If he does something dirty, I'm fucking caving his head, and I'm hitting him with an elbow. I don't give a fuck what you guys say. I know elbows are illegal in pride. If this guy does some shirty, dirty shit, all, all the cards are off the table. I'm, I'm, I'm ruining it. <laughs> but yeah, the gloves are off. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to take this. He takes a point shit. <laughs> if he dirty, I'm, I'm ruining him. <laughs> now, he's not the only guy that you fought who had a little bit of a dirty reputation. What, did any shenanigans go on with that Ruzumar Polaris guy? No, no, he actually fought fought very well. Of course, he never came close to a submission on me. That's where he's known for, for dirty impressive. shit. But uh, yeah, I mean, he, he fought fair with me. That's cool. What about Matt Lindland? Matt Lindland, uh, I mean, my fight with him was fair. That was one of the one of the few times where I got angry in a fight and I let my emotions get the better of me. You can see the result. <laughs> yeah. He fought everybody, man. Vernon White. I mean, you guys. The list goes on and on. So, did you have any? In, did you? Well, I apologize, Miguel. Did you have any input on the Jens Pulver uh, when he fought BJ Penn to win the title? Did you have any input on that fight? No, not really. So, ah. so Jens, I, I, if I remember correctly, that was after I moved to Utah or, or as I was getting ready to. But the problem with that was Jens is Jens is a very good wrestler, and he's a pretty damn good boxer. But from even from the early days of his career, he always wanted to be a boxer. He even took a couple of pro boxing matches. Like that was really where his heart was. He really wanted to box. So when he went into MMA, he really wanted to be a stand-up fighter. Like he wanted to stand up and hurt people. So with his wrestling, that carried him a long way. But he never really embraced grappling the way he needed to. Because I, I've always I've always said. If, if you want to be a supremely effective kickboxer, you must be good at grappling because you must be able to throw with reckless abandon without fear of being taken down. Because if you're going to get taken down as a, as a, as a, you know, hundred mile an hour balls to the wall stand-up fighter, you're going to get taken down. You have to be comfortable on the ground and Jens never would. He trained on the ground to be comfortable. He was, he was okay. I would say he was good, but he was never confident and comfortable with it. So most of the time when he was fighting, he was always like a good portion of his focus was on, I can't get taken down. You know, again, I, I go back to Chris, perfect example. Great stand-up <laughs> fighter, great on the ground, would come at you swinging haymakers because he didn't give a fuck if you took him down. 
your day is going to get worse if you take him down. You know? <laughs> yeah. But but Jens was like, shit, if I get taken down, I'm in trouble. He wasn't, but that's how he felt. So he would always be a little shy on his feet because he had to dedicate so much time to watching for the takedown. That's why Joe Lozon beat him. You know, that's why BJ Penn was able to, to take him down so easily because he had to focus so much on, on being taken down because he didn't want to get taken down. If your ground game is that confident, then fuck it, take me down. You just made your day worse if you take me down. You know, that's why BJ Penn was so dangerous. BJ Penn is a pretty good boxer, but Jens is a way better boxer than him. Straight boxing. But you add in the element of a possible takedown, and now BJ is the more effective striker because he will fake that takedown. He will shoot that takedown, and now you're going you're gonna to have to focus more on that, or at least a lot on that, you take BJ Penn down. Did your day get better? No. Got <laughs> worse, right? Yeah, yeah he was it, a, he was a heavy underdog in that fight, and uh, when he won the belt that night, like it was, you know, one of those, you know, Militish in that era was constantly coming up in amazing moments in mixed martial arts, and that's certainly one of my favorite. So, so it just occurred to me that you're talking about the first BJ Penn, the first fight. BJ fight, yeah, yes. So same kind of thing. I mean, obviously we were trained together in that fight, but that was one where BJ was a little less confident about his stand-up. Jens was able to, Jens was able to stop takedowns and win the stand-up. In the second fight after the Ultimate Fighter, yeah. when they were, yeah, that's the fight I thought you were talking that, about. That first fight was incredible, man. It yeah. really was. So in the first fight, yeah, we did train together a lot, but that's the point. Jens had good, good stand-up. Who, who came up with that game plan? I mean, really, we didn't really have a whole lot of game plans back then. It was basically be as well-rounded as you can in every area and then try to drive the fight to your strengths. Okay. Fair enough. I've, you know, that's another thing. I, I talk about this with a lot of people. I've never been a big fan of, like, game plans. Like, what really is a game plan? Explain to me a game plan. A game plan is I'm going to have the, the best technique I possibly can <laughs> – and I'm going to steer the fight towards my advantages. Is that a, is that a game plan or is that just being a good fighter and trying to be well-rounded? If you have to do a game plan, yeah, I mean, I got to be honest with you. My game plans usually lasted somewhere between four to five seconds until the fight really started. The first punch and I was like, fuck, just whatever yeah. happened, happened. You know what I mean? Like you said, in training, my job was to put myself in the worst place as humanly possible and see if I could get out of them and just be a good all-around fighter. There was no exactly. bad, really, positions, just bad fighters, you know. So if you work on everything, that's all you got to worry about. You can't – if you're if you're worried about whether where his left foot is at the time, you know, if you've been keen on that, what if they change it up? So you go into a too much of a game plan, I think it could be a problem. If you so hard to adapt. So. Absolutely. Yeah, I, just, I feel like a game plan is basically – that guy's really, really good on the ground, but he's not good on his feet, so let's keep it on the feet. That, that's a game plan. <laughs> well, let me ask you. Yeah. A, a game plan is not, I'm going to, I'm going to use my jab a lot and I know that he's weak to a jab. So <laughs> I'm going to try to utilize this and I'm going to, you know, like, no, that's just, that's just being a good fighter. You yeah, should have a good jab. You should, you should use it because it's a good tool. You know, I mean, that, that's not a game plan. That's having a well-rounded skill set. Yeah, I think it's just more reaction to tells, you know, it's just Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Again, that's just skill. You know, I'm throwing this jab, I see he's dropping his hand, so I'm gonna throw that right hand after or, or I throw this low kick and I see him fading and dropping his hand, so I'm gonna throw that right hand after. You know, it's just 
being able to read shit. That's just skill. That's not a game plan. That's being a well-trained, well-rounded fighter. So out of everyone you fought up at, you know, your huge 175 resume, who was the toughest guy that you ever stepped into the ring with? So, so tough is obviously a, a there's a, a many faceted thing, <laughs> but like tough. I fought a guy in uh, Holland named Khalid Arab. Not a very well-known fighter. He fought in pride a few times. He didn't end up doing that well in MMA, but in terms of tough, that guy was, I guy was fucking brick. A very, very good stand-up fighter. Not great on the ground. I ended up winning a decision, but uh, I took him down. I got to the mount on him and I postured up and I grabbed him by the neck and I fucking smashed him with a right hand as hard as I possibly could. And that guy did not even blink. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> eyes, you, you guys see me on camera, right? Yeah. 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 Fucking eyes wide open, didn't even close his eyes. I punched him right in the face as hard as I could. That guy did not even blink. <laughs> he just looked right at me like, yep, is that all you got? Man. <laughs> hey, doesn't that just shatter your confidence when you do that? Like, I remember I had some boxing okay. matches with everything yeah. I got, and I was like, I don't know what to do, man. I mean, it's, you can't yeah. knock everybody out, man. That's right. he's hard. used to work. You know, start questioning yourself at the end, like, am I, am I, what's wrong with me? You know? Yeah, but I mean, it's one thing to be tough, but that guy didn't even flinch. I hit him as hard as I could. He didn't even close his eyes. He just fucking looked right at me. I hit him right in the face. He's like, "Yep, I don't give a shit." So yeah, yeah that fight, nevertheless. Lots of grappling, lots of position, lots of mount. I ended up winning a decision. That guy was tough as shit. He didn't give a fuck about getting hit. Yeah, yeah I always like to ask him. It's the tough, like I'm like the toughest guy in the world. Who is the toughest guy in your opinion? Like everybody has one. It's yeah. It's it's a it's a fascinating question, in my opinion. So, so who would you say was the best guy you fought? I mean, all around. I mean, you know, just you fought everybody. So who is there anybody you were just like, I don't ever want to mess with that guy again. I mean, I just don't want anything. Like, like best guy ever. Um, fuck, that's a hard one. I know because you fought everybody. It just depends on the time and the era. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That. And the eras change so much. I mean, you know, yeah. the best guy from the 90s or whatever. But I would think, I don't know, man. Anderson Silva's got to be up there. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, very, very good stand-up. Very, very good groundwork. He, Great mentality, you, great composure. You knew he was going to go somewhere. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he just had like a, what, about a 15-fight little span, probably like a 10-year span where he was unstoppable. I mean, I always put him as one of my top fighters ever in the world because oh, top five that era, for nobody could touch him at all. It was unreal. Top five pound for pound ever. Yeah. yeah. So, Jimmy, have you ever been intimidated going into a fight? Because I, I'm, like, talking to these guys in pre-show prep. And I'm like, this guy fought murderers. You know, it's like, I, I knew you fought tough guys. But then, like, when you look at your body of work, you're, I'm like, wait a minute. Like, did his manager not like him? I mean, was he trying to, you know? Thanks, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> no, you know, not really. Uh, you know, after a certain point where you've had enough fights, it, it, it really is just another day in the office. And I don't, I don't mean to sound cliche, but like, you know, I've had 10 or 15 fights. I'm pretty healthy. I've never been hurt very badly. You, you get punched, you get a black eye, you get a, you know, bloody nose, whatever. You're like, look, this is not that big a deal. I, I you know, I might lose. Yeah, but, but I'm not going to get hurt that bad, you know? So yeah, I mean, I've never been very, very scared in a fight because 
there have certainly been fights where I'm like, look, man, I don't know if I can win this fight. This guy's really good. I may not win. <laughs> but I've but I've always felt like I'm good enough to defend myself. Even For if sure. all I do is fucking curl up in a ball and, and fight to stay alive, <laughs> I can do that. I can I can curl up in a ball and I can defend myself because that's the point of martial arts, right? Yeah. We, all, we all learn from a young age. I take martial arts so that I don't get my ass kicked. If all I do is, you know, you guys remember seeing the fight between uh, Antonio Inoki and Muhammad Ali, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, right? Inoki just laid on the ground and kicked at his legs, right? Yeah. If that's what you got to do to not get your ass kicked, I can do that. <laughs> you know what? I, don't, I, don't, I don't have to win. If it's a matter of like, look, I'm either going to, you know, I'm going to go to the hospital because I'm going to get fucked up. He's going to break my arm. He's going to cave my eye socket in. Or I can lay on the ground and look foolish. I, I'm, I'm going home at the end of the night, you know. I can defend myself. I don't care. I don't care if I lose the fight. I can defend myself. You, you know, on that undercard, I think it was like Bugner fought Andre the Giant. It's phenomenal. <laughs> you got to watch that one. Everyone forgets about forgets about the Andre the Giant undercard on that that event. It's, it's fantastic. Jeremy, did you have a lot? I mean, did you have a lot of injuries? I mean, I never remember you getting beat out for too long. But I mean, any very many injuries? You fought forever. How do you not get injured like that? I, you know, I've been asked that a lot, and I think it's been a combination of a few different things. So, number one, I grew up with two older brothers. They are four, <laughs> uh, four and five years older than me. Oh, geez. Which is, <laughs> yeah, which is like the terrible age. Because yeah. they're, they're, they're old enough that they're bigger and stronger than me. They, they're, they're a couple of grades above me, and so they're going to fuck me up. But they're close enough in my age that it's not really looked at as, like, unreasonable. Yeah. <laughs> if a 20-year-old beats up a five-year-old, that's that's wrong. Yeah. But when a 10-year-old beats up a six-year-old, you're like, yeah. You kind of deserve it. You know, Conditioning. Right? Yeah, Conditioning. so I was right in, that, right in that realm where I was getting beat up pretty bad, but not quite bad enough to call Child Protective Services, right? Yeah, I so I, I, I grew up getting beat up by my older brothers a lot. And then I do think that I'm, I'm maybe I'm, I'm pretty genetically gifted. I'm, I'm pretty durable. I'm pretty tough. I can take a shot. I don't get hurt very well, very easily. I'm pretty flexible. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm good at, you know, from an early age, obviously training in martial arts, I learned how to like take a fall. I learned how to get hit and roll with it. So a combination of having older brothers that abuse me and just having a knack for it and then being physically durable. I just, I, I've never been hurt. I've never been cut in a fight. I've never broken a bone. What? Yeah, I've never wow. had any problems. <laughs> I'm pretty lucky. Unreal. Well, hey, man. Well, I he guess might be like one of them lizard people that you hear about. No, no, <laughs> I, I, I did get cut once. So I had a cage at, at a, another gym of mine, uh, like a full-size cage that we would train in. And so one of the corner pads slipped and one of the bolts was sticking out. So I shoot a double leg on this guy and I run into him and I slam into this uh, big iron bolt right with my forehead right here. Slam into it super hard. And I step back and I'm like, oh, fuck, that really hurt. And then I open my hand and I go, hey, am I cut? And and when I do that, I see blood go squirting at him. And I'm like, oh, yeah. (laughs) So I ended up getting like six or seven (laughs) stitches in my forehead, but... Never been, wow. never been cut in a fight. That's uh, crazy. crazy. I got cut all the time. 
Hey, I just want to tell you, uh, my, when my, when my buddy Alex Steedley moved out there, you were one of the guys he trained with a lot and he always yes. just like raved about how good you were and everything. So thank you for taking care of him, man. It was, oh, uh, no problem, man. it Alex, meant a lot to him, dude. In the early days, man, Alex was my main training partner. It was he and I together side by side day after day, man. He was a great training partner. Very talented. I was very fortunate to train with him. We, we called him the crippler, man, because every time in there, he'd be like, he with an elbow or a knee, like, God, Alex, what's wrong with you, man? Quit. I mean, he would have hurt people on that. What? What? He's like, God, Alex, what the hell's wrong with you, man? Loved it, dude, man. Such a good guy, though. So definitely just, just a great guy. There, there was a long time, you know, in Utah, obviously, here where, like, he and I were the only guy in the gym. It was just the two of us. Like, for, for like a year, we were, the, we were the only ones. So, yeah, he was great training partner, very, very dedicated, very focused, great. Jeremy, I remember back in 1999, maybe early 2000, I think it was 99, though, uh, me and him sparring, but we only had one set of gloves, so it'd be like, you'd get the right glove this time. Yes. We literally did that. How stupid was that looking at it? It's like, what? Like, you could only use one glove. And I, I remember doing that with him all the time. It's so funny. <laughs> I think we've all gone through moments like that. <laughs> like Jer Jeremy, how approximately how many of your fights you think were you you were allowed to wear shoes? <laughs> uh, oh shit, I don't know, man. I never never was big on shoes because I never uh, I wore them in training for a little while, but I was always scared of heel hooks. Yeah, uh, I have kind of weak ankles, so that's actually part of why my jiu-jitsu game developed the way it did. But uh, I, I think we were probably allowed to wear shoes and. I don't know, probably my early 15 or 20 fights, but I never did, but they were, they were allowed then. Yeah, I remember you... Monty was one of the innovative promoters that forced the fighters to wear the same glove, too. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you can't bring your own beat-up gloves from your training gym. With wear, metal. You got to wear our gloves. <laughs> um, now, do you I, – I know myself, I have, I have probably – 15 to 18 fights that aren't on my record you probably have to have about 50 to 100 don't you? i mean seriously think about it like that i mean yeah my record is not anywhere near right because I was, I was fighting in the late 90s you had to have a lot more that weren't on there because they weren't in sanctioning bodies i mean yeah yeah is that fair to say I, yeah i i think i've got about 170 fights um oh, I okay think yeah, I think I think my record online is about 120 fights. So yeah, I've got I've got a few more than that. But yeah, I mean, like I said, in '99, I think shit. I mean, 52 weeks in the year, and I fought almost all of them. So ah. I should have I should have 50 or 60 fights in '99 alone. I think I'm listed at like 25 or 30. That's some Harry Greb stuff, man. That's Harry Greb. Yeah, that's fantastic, man. You guys got anything else for him? Nah, that's it, dude. Jeremy, hey. I'm gonna be honest with you. I. I, I I knew we were going to take a lot of your time. I didn't think we were going to take this much, man. I really appreciate it. No man. Problem, man. Truly I'm glad to be here. It's, it's always fun to chat, especially with, with Chris and, and Miguel and talk about the old school days, man. It's always a good time to catch up. So oh, wait, wait, wait. one more, one more. How, how shit faced was Miguel at the hook and shoots when he fought over there? <laughs> you know, before, I don't know. If he was, he did it well. Huh? It was the early days. It was the early days. You start to fade when you get old, man. That was good oh, okay, when I was okay. young. <laughs> That's it. Appreciate it, man. Together well, we can never tell. But uh, no, it was a, it was a pleasure. And part of it was, you know, that, you know, one of the things about Jeremy was Jeremy, then the other Iowa guys there. It's like there was that aspect of wanting to impress them too. You know, you don't want to be the fucking guy that 
you know, doesn't pay them or, you know, messes up something or something like that or anything like that. So everybody kind of monitored each other. And that what you what you see with Jeremy today is what you got back then. He's just a stand up dude. Absolutely. It's yeah, funny to hear that because it was it was the same for us back then. I'm like, holy shit, I'm going to hook and shoot. This is one of the big shows. I've, I, 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 the baby. I, I got to do this shit right. Like, I got to impress them. <laughs> That's fun. That, that was the fun days, man. You know, it was it, it was so much kind of different back then and fun in a way. Uh, it's kind of lost something, you know, when you go to these fights now. It's just a different feeling, man. Yeah. So I kind of miss that sure. old school era, man. Oh, I do too. I, I love that. I, I'm okay. always torn because I'm glad that the sport is growing so the fighters can make more money. Yeah. But but I but I'm kind of I don't like that it's become mainstream. I I like I it was when it was kind of a small crowd of the people Dirty. really dedicated. So yeah, yeah I'm, I'm very torn. I'm with you. Now, Jeremy, I, I know we're trying to wrap up. I'm looking over your record. You fought last month. Oh yeah. <laughs> you didn't know. So I, I've got, I, you know, I, I, I've been taking some time off, obviously running the gym and trying to train other fighters. And, and I had a moment, Chris, I don't know if you went through this, but I got a little burned out and I got really lazy and fat and, <laughs> I got up. I got up to almost 270 pounds. What? Yeah, I was. I was a fat, bloated blob, and I was. I would just sit on the edge of the mat and kind of like point at people and tell them how to do shit. <laughs> and I decided that was fun. I can't. I can't do that anymore. So I decided I want to start fighting again. So I've had uh, two fights in the last. I don't know, three or four months. I had a boxing match, and then I had an MMA fight, and then I've got another boxing match coming up November 28th. I'm fighting. Uh, Mark, I believe is his name, Mark Stoddard. Uh, I know who that is. Yeah. Local Iowa scene. He's, he's a tough guy. Uh, yeah. Is, yeah. So, so we're doing a boxing match November 28th. I'm getting back in shape. I'm down to about uh, 225. So down nice. from almost 260. It's fucking disgusting. I don't even want to say it. <laughs> well, well he, fought, he fought Tony Lopez, uh, bare knuckle, the bare knuckle guy. That's, oh, no, uh, started him? No, Snyder no. was like fought at once. Jeremy fought Tony Lopez. Oh, I did. Oh, yes, yeah, we had an MMA fight. That was another fucking crazy clusterfuck of a show. That that was kind of I don't know how much time you you guys still press. Dude, we're in. No, 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 you got us fucked up. No, we're in. So I ended up hooking up with this show out of Oklahoma. It was called Sugar Creek Showdown. It was a casino show, and they they did really good shows, but uh, they had a bigger than average budget for a local show because as a casino show, they had a little bit more money. Yeah. So they would fly us in and we would do, you know, I'd bring a lot of my fighters out there. It was a great opportunity for them to fight and travel and, and shit. Uh, so I fought for them a couple of times. And one of them was my fight with Tony Lopez. And this was right at the, at the height of my laziness. And like, I probably shouldn't have been fighting. I wasn't <laughs> training much. I was like, I was like 225, just a fat blob, just like, yeah, whatever. I'll fight. Let me put this donut down. I'll go fight, you know? <laughs> And I shouldn't have been fighting. So I go in there and fight Tony Lopez. I cut weight to make 205, barely. Uh, and we end up going, I think I think it was a five-round fight. And it's embarrassing that it even went to a decision. Tony Lopez is a pretty tough guy. But, like, we all know there's levels to this sport, right? Sure. Lopez is a, is a tough guy. And if you come in out of shape, he's going to make you work. But if you are good, you should beat him. <laughs> and he pushed me to the fifth round and we, I ended up going, we ended up going to a decision and he won the decision, but he shouldn't have, it was a uh, fucking bullshit decision. Uh, like, 
So here's an example. In the third round, I take him down, I mount him, I put him in an arm lock, and I hold him in an arm lock for the entirety of the third round. Two of the judges gave him the third round. <laughs> I thought it was a draw. No? Am I off on that? No. So he actually won the decision outright that night. But we protested it. It ended up going to a no contest. But it's an embarrassment because I was so out of shape and I shouldn't have even taken that fight. I, Chris, I don't know if you've ever done fights like this. We're like, dude, I shouldn't have done it. I didn't train. I was lazy. I was fat. I learned my lesson. You know, Tony's a tough guy. And if you, if you underestimate him, he's tough. He's going to hang in there and he's going to push you and he's going to make you work. It was kind of like <laughs> Scott Hall wrestling, you know, in the yeah. last like few I, months. <laughs> I, was not, I was not ready for that fight. I'm like, fuck it. I'm so good. This guy can't last around with me, but he could. <laughs> and, and I paid for it. So, hey, Jeremy, Jeremy, we got I, I'm doing commentary for the BKFC bare knuckle. If you ever want to get in that, let me know, man. We'll throw you, we'll throw you in if you want to do some. You got it for hey, everything, right? I had, just, I had to I'm do a couple start of with boxing. We'll see if I want to keep doing some some boxing. I'm, I'm going to be moving back into MMA, but we'll see. I don't want to cut off my chin. <laughs> hey, man, maybe you get that cut open for the first time. Oh, man, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Jeremy, I want to thank you uh, very much. This is a great walk down memory lane. We can absolutely do this all the time here. We'll probably buzz back and forth. But uh, let me ask you a question. We do. We'll wrap it up with this. We do got Khabib and Gaethje this weekend. Oh, yeah. Man, that, that's a tough one, man. Like, so it's it's really hard to bet against Khabib. The guy's, what, 28, 29, and oh, man, you can't bet against that consistency. But he has had some trouble in the past taking people down. He It's not like he takes people down easily every time. He's been stuffed a couple of times. Gaethje's a decent wrestler. Gaethje <laughs> throws haymakers and hits hard. Uh, fuck, man. So generally, what I try to look at fights in, in two different two different uh, universes, I guess we'll say. So if we, if we look at this fight as both of them, you know, basically play to their strengths and he plays out the way it should. Khabib will take him down and grind it out and probably win a decision or maybe submit him late in the fight. Cause Gaethje will get desperate and try to get up and give something away. Or we have a little bit of a, a I don't want to call it a fluke cause that's not a fair statement, but a little bit of a, an outlier where Gaethje clips him with a couple of hard punches and puts him away at some point. Man, he's so, a plus 270. Well, th 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 that's my thought with that. To be honest with you, you said he's a good wrestler. I think Gaethje's a very good wrestler. He went with Burles. Burles. He couldn't take him down for two couldn't rounds. So yeah. If he can stop that takedown, yes. I, I, mean, I don't say it's going to happen, but I don't. I think 270 is too much of an underdog. In my I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Top, but, is... but I can see it happen either way. I really could. Right. Yeah, this is a closer fight than I think the odds makers are getting. You know, people look at uh, – a lot of people would say, I think it was Abel Trujillo that fought uh, Khabib quite a few years ago, and people think that Khabib lost that fight. He was given a decision, but people think he lost that fight. Really? Yeah, I, I think I Abel Trujillo – I, I might be remembering that wrong, but there was a fight he had early on. Um, it might have been uh, – it might have been Gleason Tebow. Maybe I'm confusing those two guys. Okay. Yeah, I know he, he was able to – a lot of trouble making weight for a long time. He seems yeah. to have kind of figured that out. Early in his UFC career where he had a hard time getting takedowns, he got stuffed a lot. And some people would argue that he lost that fight. Um, so Man. If he can stop takedowns and land some punches, it might be a bad day for him. 
Yeah, yeah. Game of Zones. Yeah, it's yeah. Game of Zones. Right. Center of the ring, Gaethje along the fence. Could be. Yeah. yeah. The way Gaethje looked in this fight with Ferguson, man, he looked Jesus. Throwing, throwing heat with every punch, but not overcommitting. I mean, he looked really good in that fight. So. He never even done a take. He's never even shot a takedown in the UFC. <laughs> he just doesn't care. He wants to hit yeah. you. Yeah. And kick you. Think about that. So anyway, Jeremy, dude. It's truly an honor, man. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much, brother. Hopefully we'll see you sometime soon. You guys.